thanks everyone so much for joining me throughout the past year on Season 3 of Kitchen Table Magic. This has been the most ambitious season of the show, with amazing guests, a multi-part series on Wooberg, and of course this very ambitious season finale that you're about to listen to. I want to take a moment to thank the entire Magic community for their wonderful support of the show and their friendship to me as a person. I am moved every day with the friendships I have with you, whether it's on social media or in person. I'd like to thank my amazing sponsors, Paragon City Games and Card Kingdom for their generous support of the show, and also my Patreon supporters who send me supportive and encouraging messages each week. Thank you listeners for giving me strength during my marathon long edits. I make this show because of you. A big thank you also to the guests that appear on the show for sharing their lives with us. I'll have a full shout out to everyone and some exciting announcements about the future of Kitchen Table Magic at the end of the show, so stick around. Without further ado, please enjoy my interviews with the future of Magic the Gathering, Dana Fisher, Nathan Stoyer, Ethan Brown, Miley Chen, Leo Strober-Cohen, and Quinn Kiefer. Adam, if you feel like uh, Dana needs a little bit of help, feel free to jump in at any time. But you usually don't need help, do you, Dana? Nope, not during interviews! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sir, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Nathan Stoyer. I'm 14 years old and I'm from the Bay Area. Some of my recent magic accomplishments include a Grand Prix Top 16, two Grand Prix Top 32s, and an SEG Open Top 8. My most recent obsession is with Rick and Morty because I love that TV show. Nathan, if you were in that TV show, would you be Rick or would you be Morty? <laughs> I feel like I would be more like Morty. I mean, I'm always stressing out over random things. And instead of having the whole plan in mind, I'm always like trying to put everything together and kind of like the sidekick. I'm not more like the Robin instead of Batman. Hello, guest. Could you please introduce yourself? Hey, I am Ethan Brown. I'm 14 years old. I got second place in GP LA when I was 12 years old, which allowed me to go to the Pro Tour in Sydney. I love playing Modern Affinity, and I also love my dog, Patty. Little Miss, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Miley. I am 10 years old, and uh, I enjoy playing Magic with my goofball of a dad. Thank you, Miley. My name is Min. I am Miley's long-suffering father, and uh, we play Magic together. We play quite a bit, I suppose. Can you introduce yourself for us? Hi, I'm Leah Strober-Cohen from Seattle, Washington. I'm 13 years old, and I'm in 8th grade. And how long have you been playing Magic? I've been playing Magic for about five years, but competitively, I've been playing for about two or three. When did I first meet you? I think I was over at your parents' house for a party that they were throwing. Yeah. At the time, like, I was super into like Planeswalkers, and I had this deck, but all my Planeswalkers in the deck were sleeved a different sleeve that I thought was really cool. You were like, here's my deck, and there were like gray sleeves, and then there were these bright orange sleeves of a different design. It was like with a dress on the back. Right. And I was like, why are these sleeves differently? And they're like, oh, they're all my planeswalkers. And then you're like, yeah, how else am I going to know when a planeswalker is coming up? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. And you were like, you're like jaw dropped and you're like, well, there's a few reasons why you won't know anymore. Hello, sir. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Quinn Kiefer, and I'm 12 years old, and I compete on Magic the Gathering professionally. I am on Team Card Hoarder, and I just qualified for the Pro Tour. Quinn, how many times a day do you find yourself dabbing? <laughs> 
Well, I guess my school is kind of into that and not into that at the same time. They think it's really funny when people dab. So probably about, it depends what kind of day it is, but probably around like seven. <laughs> okay, seven. So you really dab your way through the day. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'll be talking to the future of Magic the Gathering, our kids. Who are the little mages that will carry the Planeswalker spark into the future? Dana Fisher, little Nissa cosplayer and GP grinder, is barely big enough to hold the cards, but she knows how to cast them. She's beaten many opponents playing elves. Nathan Stoyer competes at almost every tournament he can. A member of Team Versus Games from the San Diego Bay Area, he's ready to chew up anyone that stands in his way. Ethan Brown, a whiz kid from Portland, Oregon, stunned the coverage team when he made it to the finals of GPLA, piloting Modern Affinity. Armed with a fierce knowledge of the metagame, he is eager to return to the Pro Tour. Miley Chen, a young spellslinger from Boston, enjoys EDH, draft, and most importantly, griefing her dad, Min. They practice drafts often, so I won't be surprised if I see Miley at the Pro Tour very soon. Leo Strober-Cohen hails from Magic's hometown of Seattle. He's excited to brew up decks and experiment in the game of Magic. He cares deeply about making Magic more accessible to all players that love the game. Quinn Kiefer, proud member of the Kiefer Brothers Trio. Quinn has battled with the biggest names in Magic. He's attending his first Pro Tour later this year at Pro Tour 25th Anniversary. All of these rising stars are eager to compete at the Pro Tour and one day see themselves inducted into the Magic Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoy my conversations with Dana Fisher, Nathan Stoyer, Ethan Brown, Miley Chen, Leo Strober-Cohen, and Quinn Kiefer. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the multiverse's most powerful planeswalker and her dad, Dana and Adam Fisher. Dana, how are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. And how are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, it's great to have you both on the show. The magic community is just so absolutely enchanted with you, Dana. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and, you know, like all things, we always start at the beginning, which isn't too long ago for you. When did you start playing magic, Dana? When I was three and a half. And Adam, what was it like to teach Dana when she was three and a half to play magic? Well, it definitely involved a little bit of uh, improv improvisation in terms of uh, understanding how to teach someone to play magic when uh, she didn't know how to read yet. But we definitely uh, got a bit of a system down. So my dad started me off with 30 card deck with vanilla cards. I just did that for a while. And then once I learned how to read, I went off with a Kiara deck. A Kiora deck. When I learned how to read, which was around five. Dana, when you were five, did you have trouble with some of the cards, or you were pretty much familiar with a lot of the different magic cards already? When I was at early five, I wasn't familiar. I still couldn't read like all the cards, but when I was like almost six, I could like read 
almost all the cards. And before she knew how to read the cards, um, it definitely was just memorizing the artwork and understanding, you know, what it did. And, you know, I liken it a lot to kind of how people, you know, learn how to play magic with cards that are, you know, in a foreign language. You know, they might already know the English versions, but they can't read the foreign language versions, but they know what it does from the picture. So it was sort of, I used that as the model for, uh, <laughs> for how Dana was going to learn. I guess it's safe to assume, Adam, that you are also a magic player. I am, correct. That was kind of like your passion that you bestowed onto Dana. Yeah, it was. I, I actually, I've been playing off and on since uh, Revised, so uh, well, well over 20 years. And, you know, it's always been something I've liked doing. Um, I played uh, competitively uh, back in sort of the 2002 timeframe um, and was on the, the Pro Tour uh, a few times. Wow. Um, nothing too big. I met a lot of people. And in fact, in addition to being my passion through the contacts I met uh, playing on the tour, I actually owe the last uh, 15 years of my career uh, to playing Magic because it was those contacts and that experience playing at those levels that uh, got me my, uh, you know, my, my jobs, both my previous one and current one. That is so wonderful. Yes, the Magic community is really a wonderful place. Data, I also wanted to ask you, what are some things that you're doing to get better at Magic? Um, well, I'm practicing a lot with my, against my dad a lot. Um, and practicing the decks that I'm going to use at the next Grand Prix. Because my goal, too, at a Grand Prix is to be the youngest player to make day two. That's a wonderful goal, Dana. The youngest player who has so far. We know it's an 11-year-old, but we're not sure of a 10-year-old. There is a 10-year-old. Yeah, and there's also a 10-year-old that made day two. That made day two. So I just have like three years to do it. I think I can do it. Dana, how old are you now? Seven. <laughs> Seven. Wow, that's so amazing. What does it feel like to be such a young magic player? Good. I get a lot of attention from people. Um, and sometimes since I travel a lot to Grand Prix, like Channel Fireball, most I'm going to every single one of their Grand Prix next year in Vegas when I went there to the Grand Prix. I got a free entry to every single little thing there. Except the hotel, of course. Yes. We're not going to every Channel Fireball Grand Prix next year. <laughs> <That's a lot laughs> of fun. But I think we were saying the ones that we go to, they've offered to waive the entry fee for the, for the tournament, right? Yeah. That is so awesome. I love that. And then most recently, you were also at GP Minneapolis, where you were able to play on camera on the first round. Yeah, and I also actually first round... In Vegas, I got to be on camera, too. Wow, that's awesome. Dana, what is it like playing against other Magic players when you were at a tournament? It feels pretty good. I haven't been playing for, like, that, that long, but I still like playing. Do the older players or bigger players ever scare you or make you nervous? No. Okay, do you ever make them nervous? Uh... Oh, no. You were also on camera with Rich Hagen to do a little bit of commentary on your match during GP Minneapolis. Yep, I was. The Magic community loved it, and you were famously quoted as saying, Magic is more educational than school. Yeah. Actually, to go to Vegas, I had to decide between the last two days of school or Vegas. I chose Vegas. <laughs> Dana, why do you feel that magic is more educational than school? Because the last week of school, there's zero learning. 
I feel like magic is more educational than school because actually I learned magic before I started kindergarten and then it just got me doing the math and reading very, very quickly. So magic helps me with school a little bit. So I feel like it's more educational because it helps me with school. I think that you're doing a lot of problem solving when you play, right, Dana? I had to figure out that I did 284 damage to my dad in one turn with my oath deck. Wow, and you did that all by yourself? Yeah, well, with a little bit of my dad's help doing the math. <laughs> That's really awesome. And then I figured out, um, since he was at six life, I figured out what negative he would be at. And I said negative 278. Dana, what are some of your other favorite formats to play in Magic? I know that you are recently playing Standard. Do you also play Modern or do you draft or are you also going to be playing some Legacy? Um, I'm going to be playing Legacy. I play a lot of Modern. I do a little bit of Limited. What do you play in Modern? Elf. At first I was Green Black Elf, but now I changed my deck to Green White Elf. Okay. Do you like that change better or worse? I don't know because I haven't played with it yet because I don't have all the cards because I have to proxy some. So, like, I watched Ross play else. That's when I decided to change my deck into green-white elves. Are there other pros or magic players or thinkers or writers that you like to learn from? Yeah, I learn from a lot. Like, Reduke. And Megan. Megan from Magic the Amateuring? Yeah. Dana, do you have any advice for other kids that want to start off and play Magic? I mean, if you have a young kid that's like three, three and a half, you can actually start them off, but with vanilla cards and only a 30 card deck. And what advice would you give them if they wanted to go play at a local game store or they wanted to go to a Grand Prix? If they can't read, memorize every single, almost every single card. And then if they can read, just teach them to like, if you don't know what a card does, ask to read it. Dana, what are your magic goals? Do you ever want to play on the Pro Tour or maybe one day get into the Magic Hall of Fame? Those are actually both my goals, but first my goal is to be the youngest player to make day two. And I actually have a deck box and it says Dana Fisher Future Hall of Famer. Dana, that's so wonderful to hear that you have these really great magic goals. Thanks. One of the things that's been really interesting is just the evolution of her playing and what she, you know, is exposed to. Because we've definitely approached it in a way that's, uh, you know, very building block. <laughs> like, for instance, you know, one memory I have, um, it was uh, it was actually at a, a GP. I think it was uh, Denver. There was an interaction regarding, you know, she I think she cast Blossoming Defense on one of her creatures. And then her opponent tried to harness lightning uh, that creature in response. And we had not gone over the concept of the stack yet. So we, we called over a judge to explain to Dana what was going on. And the judge explained how the stack worked. And then sort of once Dana sort of heard how the stack worked and what happened, 
she then realized completely on her own that she could play a second blossoming defense she had in her hand in response to that harness lightning to protect her creature and that won her the game. So that's one of my favorite moments. That's amazing, Dana. Thanks. Dana, what advice do you have for players that want to improve? You have a local game shop, then just play and then like the decks that you're hoping for, you could just practice playing and then you'll know the decks, more of the decks, and then you'll be more familiar on what they do and how to, like, use strategy to defeat them. We'll have more from our guests, but first, a quick break from our sponsors. Okay, Dana, I hear that you have a gift for our Patreon supporters. Dana, what is that? I wish Arch Druid, Elvish Mystic, and Lana War Elves. I love it. So Elvish Arch Druid, Elvish Mystic, and Lana War Elves, they're all really important elves that go into your deck, right? Yep. Okay, and they're not actually the ones from your deck, but I'll be buying them and you'll be signing them, right, Dana? Yep. And I know that our Patreon supporters will get such a kick out of getting that little special memento directly from you. So thank you so much, Dana, for doing that. You're welcome. Hello, friends. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic on Patreon has allowed the show to grow in so many ways. I've been able to get cards signed by your favorite MTG personalities. I've been able to upgrade the audio equipment and software for the show. I've been able to travel to GPs to meet guests face-to-face -face and drag them onto the show. And now your support is growing the show in such a way that there is going to be more content made by yours truly coming out soon in the future, so stay tuned. If you'd like to join the squad, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. Mucho thanks to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who are amazing people that always top deck the card they need to win the game. Thanks for your support. Okay, everyone, and we're back. Dana, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Dana, rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Green is my favorite um, color outside of magic, and since I like all of the colors, I just picked green. And green is a very powerful color as well. You get to attack with lots of big creatures and things like that. Yeah. Another reason why green is my favorite color of magic is because elves are green and this is green. Dana, rapid-fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? To decide your hand. Okay, so you could maybe pick your first seven cards? Yeah. What do you think that would um, do for players or do for the game? Especially with my mother knows, I've actually been practicing on how to kill my opponent on turn three with special hands. Mm-hmm. So I have been doing it. Rapid fire question number three, Dana. If you could give something to every magic player, what would it be? Uh, to give them a card of their pick. That's really cool. And what card would you like if you could have any card? Uh, Nissa? <laughs> Which one? There's lots of different Nissas. Uh, Nissa Steward of Elements. Nissa Steward of Elements. Okay, awesome, awesome. And what do you like about Nissa Steward of Elements? She looks very pretty. And she's the exact Nissa on my costume. Dana, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? 
um, that I'm like becoming more and more of an expert at magic. The more I travel to the Grand Prix, I get better and better. That's fantastic. And last, Dana, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Anything you'd like them to think about or do? No. Okay. <laughs> That's a simple answer. <laughs> well, Dana, I just wanted to thank you. And I also wanted to acknowledge you. I'm so happy to see someone like you enjoying the game of magic and not just playing at home and at local game stores with your friends and also your father and family. It's also wonderful to see a player like you come out to play in large events like Grand Prix. You're really making the Magic the Gathering community a better place. You're making it a more fun place. And you're also making it more welcoming. I think that takes a lot of courage. And I know that Magic is a very hard game and you've put a lot of effort into mastering the game and practicing and training yourself. So I really appreciate that. So thank you for everything that you've done and all the energy that you've put into the community. You're welcome. And Adam, I also wanted to thank you as well as a Magic player yourself and also as a father, a very proud father. I really appreciate your courage to bring your daughter out and to really encourage her and to give her all the tools because, um, you know, I've just seen the Magic community just kind of explode with joy with uh, Dana on the scene. So thank you so much for sharing her energy with everyone in the community. You're welcome, but it's really me who should be thanking because it's, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun getting to travel with uh, with Dana and, and doing what, uh, you know, something we both really love and meeting lots of cool people along the way. So that's, uh, that, that's definitely been a, you know, a, a, a really great reward. And one of my favorite things, Dana, about having a conversation with you right now is I really see you as the future of Magic the Gathering. In the future, someone like me might, may or may not be playing the game. I'd like to play the game for the rest of my life. And it really takes someone like you to grow up, to support the game and devote more energy to it and, you know, be a great player and also make the game better. I'm really, really excited to see where you're going to go in the coming years. Thanks. I really did want to take the time to acknowledge some of the people and, and, and places that have been, you know, really great. Like for one, Dana was mentioning, you know, MJ and, and Ariel and uh, Aaron from Stonegate Studios, um, who made her costume and did just an absolutely fantastic job. Um, so that's been great. Also, you know, we mentioned the Channel Fireball hat and Channel Fireball has been very, you know, generous and encouraging. Also, Dana mentioned about going to a local shop being really important. And so our local shop here is uh, at Ease Games uh, here in uh, the San Diego area. And the people there also have been awesome. It kind of just, you know, feels like home there. And then lastly, there's been just, you know, so many really good people, uh, really encouraging, both people well-known in the Magic community um, that Dana's really excited to see. Like Dana, you always like to see like Marshall, right? And LSV. Yeah, LSV and, um, you know, and, and Reed. And, you know, we recently got in touch with... Uh, with Ross actually through uh, through a mutual acquaintance. And so we just like, you know, a lot of the great people uh, that are known as well as those that aren't really that well known, but they're just so welcoming. So, um, you know, everyone's been, you know, really awesome. And there's a ton more. <laughs> I'm forgetting the MTG wooden tokens that made her deck box. I mean, there's just been a lot of people that have been uh, uh, really, really, you know, generous with their with their time, with their attention and with just, you know, being overall very, very welcoming and supportive. I love it. That's so awesome. That just really speaks loudly about the, how the community comes out for each other. So that's great to hear, Adam. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 been you know a little little overwhelming at times in terms of the experience, but you know honestly, I think a lot of that too is what helps with you know kind of keeping her you know motivated when she sees how cool the people are that are out there in the community. It you know makes it more fun to be a part of, right, Dana? Uh huh. Dana, do you have any final parting words for our listeners as we sign off? Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today I'm here with a very big little mage, Nathan Stoyer. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from uh, the area, the San Francisco area, to be exact. You missed your bus, so you're not at home. So you are kind of out and about in the wild (laughs) recording right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting experience. I mean, didn't really expect it, but here I am. <laughs> so you're like tucked away in some corners. So listeners, if you do hear a little bit of background now, it's just kind of include that into the interview experience with uh, Nathan here. For the listening audience, if you don't know who Nathan is, Nathan is uh, quite the competitive magic player. Nathan, kind of what's your magic resume right now? Some of the things that I have in my resume include um, a Grand Prix Top 16 and a few Grand Prix Top 32s. I as well as um, an SCG Open Top 8. That's pretty awesome. We met about a year ago at GP Portland last summer, and I can't remember where we were. Oh, I remember now. I was in a last chance qualifier, and we were just like kind of in between rounds. I look over to my right, and there you are sitting there, and you were just ripping Jund on some other person. Like you were with your friend, and you were just tearing them apart. They were playing Jund, and you were kind of like nonchalantly playing. You were kind of like sharking them, (laughs) and I was just like, whoa, look at that guy just tear through this guy and I think he was playing affinity and then you were like you're just playing affinity all wrong give me that give me that and you like switched decks and then so then he was playing Jun and you were playing affinity and then you tear him apart again <laughs> yeah that's a funny memory I have as well <laughs> yeah who was that person so that's one of my good friends his name is Sanchez O'Leary and he's also from the Bay Area me and him are kind of part of a tag team um, we've traveled um, a lot to several events um, teams for Grand Prix before like Grand Prix Cleveland a few months ago and um, I don't know we're just close buddies made friends from playing in the area and have been close for the last few years That's really awesome. So you mentioned that you have a team and uh, what is your team? Who's on your team and who sponsors your team? So my team is called Team Versus Games. The sponsor of our team is D Velas and we are located in um, San Francisco. Basically, the goal of our team was to perform well at GPs. At the start of 2015, um, the manager of the store decided that it would be a good idea to gather some of the local prodigies, I could say, and um, form a team. We've been working pretty hard to um, perform well and go to as many Grand Prix as we can fit in our schedules. That is amazing. And uh, obviously, at your age, you're going to school. So do you not necessarily go to the Fridays of GPs? So obviously, Saturdays and Sundays are open for you. Yeah, so on the Fridays, um, the conflict is having school. So I usually don't arrive to like midnight or later on Friday night. I have to manage with a lot less sleep than I would hope for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, you know what, Nathan? Like all things, we always get started from the beginning. Where did you grow up and when did you find magic? So I grew up in um, Marin County. When I was there, there wasn't really um, a lot of magic going on as far as I can tell, but 
um, I noticed when I was at summer camp that a few kids were playing this new card game. And I asked them, hey, what are those? And they were like, oh, you have to get the cards at the store. So I headed over on Friday and begged my mom to take me. When we got there, she saw $4 for a pack of 15 magic cards. That's ridiculous. We went out of the store and that was that for for a little bit. <laughs> That's funny. But you stuck with it. You still got to play eventually. I mean, got some cards and we decided that it would be a Friday night regular thing to do. Every week for about a year, we headed over to the same local gaming store and... At the time, I mean, I was only nine years old or eight years old, so wow, I don't really know what I was doing. That's amazing. And you're 14 now. It's like you've been playing Magic for almost half of your entire existence. Yeah, it's been a while. Kind of flies by when I'm playing, to be honest, but just kind of springed on me like, oh, I've been playing for so long. Like, I'm only 14. Like, most people have not been playing for more than like two years or so when they're my age. That's crazy. You know, I'm 31 and I've been playing Magic for over 15 years. And so in one sense or another, I've been playing Magic longer than you have. But you are much better of a player than I am and you have secured much bigger <laughs> accomplishments. It's not about the amount of time that you've been playing this game for. It's about kind of what you're doing with yourself to develop yourself within this game. And, you know, another thing is this, is like, I, I don't know a lot of people think about this, but when you are, um, a, a, you know, a young child, you know, you don't have all your vocabulary, like you're not like necessarily reading at like a high school level. And so a lot of your early years, you're just like, what is vigilance? <laughs> you know, like, what do some of these even keywords even mean? And like reading and then doing the math and doing the logic, it's incredibly challenging because you're learning all of these other ancillary skills. And then for you to also play at a very high level is very, very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard when I first started out. But I mean, at some point, I can just see the picture of the card. And I don't need to know like, what exactly it says. I can just remember like, oh, this creature has vigilance. I don't have to tap it when I attack. This creature is flying. They can't block it if they don't have other flyers. So just memorization was a helpful tool for me to develop some skills that helped me get better at a younger age. That's very cool. And who did you learn magic from? Or did you just basically teach yourself, Nathan? So there were some camp instructors um, who taught me how to play, but I don't think they really knew how to play. Um, they kind of just, you know, when you first learn out, you kind of make up your own rules. You can play as many spells as you can for a turn, and that's just how it was for the first few months until um, they sent us to a shop, and we learned the real rules from um, a few people at the shop. Okay, so it's pretty janky, casual kitchen table magic. That's how it was at first. <laughs> Nathan, do you remember some of the early packs you opened? Do you ever remember any like early cards that you opened that you were really excited about? Oh, yeah. So when I was first opening um, a booster pack of, I want to say, original Innistrad, um, I think I remember opening uh, a Garrick the Veil Curse in my first ever draft. Wow, nice. Garrick Relentless. And that really stood out to me as like a Planeswalker. Oh, wow. Like, I'm so lucky I opened a Planeswalker in my first draft. Like, those used to be like, oh, these are the best cards. Like, I don't know, in our playgroup, if you had a Planeswalker, you were like the best player. <laughs> like, automatically, like, your skill level is so much better just because of the power of the card. Yeah, exactly. What is your uh, mindset for playing Magic at a competitive level for someone at your age? Uh, I mean, 
I'm a pretty competitive person in general, and I feel like, I don't know, my mindset is just to, like, develop um, skills to get better or as best as I can until I can compete with, like, the best, you know, get on the pro tour um, and be sportsmanlike, um, develop friendships with new players. Those are some of the things that, like, I've sought out to do, I guess. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that attitude as well. You know, you've you set yourself a goal. You want to get on the pro tour. You understand that this is a community. You want to meet other people and connect with other people. And I really like what you also said about like having good sportsmanship. When I first met you, I was so impressed and also intrigued because you are incredibly mature. Being as technical of a player as you are and like understanding and putting in all the reps for Magic as a game, you definitely have the muscle memory. And then also being um, like sportsmanlike, I think that's really um, important because like you're taking this responsibility of being good at magic, this power that you have, right? And like you're also highly visible in the community. So you want to encourage and also be a role model for other players and younger players as well. So that's really great. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, another helpful tool that's really helped me along the way to, I mean, develop more technically than anything else is the use of like magic online. I mean, I don't know what I've been doing without magic online at this point. You know what? That's what a lot of other pro players that I've interviewed in the past said about their early careers is that when they started playing Magic Online, it just like really transformed the, the way that they play and train and play test for the game. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely agree with that assessment. Before this year or the very start of this year, I wasn't playing um, much Magic Online at all, just like maybe a few times a month or for big tournaments. But now I'm playing, you know, every day or so for a few hours if I can help it. And I really feel like I'm stepping up my game. Nathan, how many older players have underestimated you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can count that high. I mean, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a lot of people. So, what is it like? Someone doesn't know you. They sit down in front of you. They're like, okay, this is a little kid. And they just proceed to get crushed. Is that kind of what happens? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes like they sit down and they're kind of like, hey, um, do you want to high roll a dice? Like, I've never heard that before or something. <laughs> and that's when I first know, like, they, they just think I'm some kid. And at other times, I can, like, just tell that they're going to have no idea what's coming. And their, their whole body language or everything can tell you, like, what they're thinking in the moment. I mean, I used to get annoyed, at, like, when um other adults were kind of condescending in that way. Like, when they um made initial assessments based on my age. But now it kind of fuels me to like win the match even more than before. I mean, now it's just makes me want to win more. <laughs> it drives you to want to be better and more competitive and achieve more. I love that. You know, what's funny, Nathan, is that the next time you go to a GP and people don't know you, you should totally shark them. Have like a Ziploc bag filled with like unsleeved junk cards, throw a couple of dice in there and leave that on top of like your Pokemon play mat. And then as they walk up, they're just like, oh, gosh, this kid is like a real kid. But then they're just like, wait a second, I'm 4-0. Why is this kid 4-0, right? And at the last possible second, you're like, let's go. And then they're just like, oh, so nervous. What's going on? <laughs> I'm sure they'd be like very confused. Like, what am I doing playing against this kid in like the 5-0 or 4-0 bracket? Like, no sleeves on his deck. 
He forgot his sleeves at home. Yeah, you're carrying it in like a half-eaten sandwich bag. <laughs> that's always the that's always the cringiest. I mean, definitely when I was a kid, um, you know, I didn't I didn't have money for sleeves. I barely had money for cards. So for me, it was just like sixty unsleeved cards, you know, thrown into like a bag. Sometimes it was like more than sixty. I didn't. I never sideboarded. So like, definitely the image of being like a youth kid and then just like playing Magic. I think that's the most nostalgic that a lot of older Magic players have. You know, I wanted to also ask you, Nathan, what advice do you have? for younger players that are just starting the game? Um, so some good advice that I can give is get involved with um, the people who you recognize are willing to help you out. Like, you know, some players just don't care at all if you um, get better at the game and find those players at your store, get to a local game store, find the people who can help you get to the next level. I mean, whether that means get your parents to take you to the store or go to some friend's house and ask them to take you or walk to the store, find a, an avenue to go to your local gaming store, I think would be my best advice. You have confidence that they they will be able to learn on their own and there's a lot of resources to be able to learn, especially if you're going to the game stores and playing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the best step to take is like develop friendships with other kids or get them involved in the game and then it's something that you can do to have fun with your friends. It's not just something that like you're doing to play a game. Now you're just having time with your friends and then you can start to improve with them. Nathan, what advice do you have for any kind of a player wanting to level up and perhaps get onto the Pro Tour or at least get as many good tournament finishes as you've gotten? Uh, read articles and, you know, listen to podcasts, watch videos, just absorb as much content as you can. I think that's a huge step if you're trying to level up. You know, when I read articles written by like PV or other pros, I feel like my game gets improved every time or the lessons that they're trying to enforce really have helped me over the year and a half or two years that I've been absorbing content. Nathan, you're pretty young. Obviously, you're a pretty young player. But, you know, a lot of people have said that magic really affects their lives. Um, how has magic affected your life? Yeah, so for me, um, magic was a huge way of coping with um, a lot of hard times I had to go through in last year and two years ago. And um, I don't really know what I would have done without magic. I mean, I didn't really have um, a good friend group to confide in before I went to um, the local gaming store. And they really made me feel like at home, um, the magic community has been great to me. And I don't know what I would do without them if it wasn't for them. Yeah, that's really important. I'm glad that you feel that way and I'm glad that you shared that. Uh, it gives a lot of people encouragement that the magic community is very inclusive and a really great place to be. You know, in my adult life, it's not very easy to make a lot of friends, but I will have to say the vast majority of my friends here in Seattle are all from the magic community and they're incredibly warm and generous people. And I'm glad to hear that you've also had that same experience, even at your young age. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an experience that I'll cherish for years to come. I mean, not many kids can say that they travel around the U.S. going to like magic tournaments on a monthly basis. That's really cool. And, you know, I actually wanted to ask you something else. It's just like, what do your parents feel about supporting you in that kind of a way? So, um, honestly, they feel like it's a good thing for me, but magic's an expensive hobby as well. So kind of have to support myself, you know, paying tournament costs, flying to these events. And I don't know what I would do without Anthony D. Velos from Versus Games helping support me. It's been really helpful for me to um, have his support in order to, to compete in some of these Grand Prix. 
Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I really love that you have a great sponsor who like really sees the potential in like the next generation of Magic player, wants to support you in that way and allow you to grow. And I just think that's really wonderful. So yeah, I'm also very grateful for Anthony stepping up, you know, that part of the community as well to be your sponsor. So that's awesome. Nathan, what do you want to say to parents that have kids wanting to play Magic? I would say that if you're a parent that you should get your kid in the, involved in the community. Like it's a, a very safe activity. And, you know, contrary to popular belief, like a lot of people are going to help your kids if they're older. They're not just trying to um, beat some kids in a card game. Like they just want to help other people get better, develop their skills and sharpen them. Nathan, which players like pro or otherwise do you look up to? Like Paulo Viter is a huge role, role model for me. I mean, I've interacted with um, several of them, and I really enjoy listening to um, Brad Nelson's content on Star City Games or other websites, as well as like Brian Brondewin, who kind of shows me like how Drive for Magic can get you um, places. That's awesome. Yeah, Paolo Vitor, Domino Rosa, Brad Nelson, Brian Brondewin. Yeah, they're all incredible players. Nathan, what are some of your big goals for Magic? I'd have to say my biggest goal is just to qualify for a pro tour. I mean, bigger than that would be, I mean, obviously win a pro tour or top eight a pro tour, even, you know, win a team GPU. That would be pretty amazing to me just to get there with friends. That seems like a pretty amazing experience. It'd be pretty unforgettable for me. Nathan, I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Hit me, Sam. All right. Sounds good. Nathan, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? I would have to go with red because it kind of represents anger, burn, and rage, which kind of show some of like the magic traits that I used to love when I first started the game. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Would you pair red with another color? Yeah, I mean, if I had to pair with another color, it would probably be black, just because of the explosive nature of black. You know, it's just a cool archetype for me. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Next, Nathan, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I think if I could change something, I would change the um, prize structures on competitive Magic events. I think how it is, it's pretty unsustainable for pro players to make a living. And so I would make it so that more of the prizes were given to um, larger events to make it so the pro lifestyle was more sustainable. Nathan, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? I think that I would give them a booster box from the most recent Magic the Gathering set so that they could feel experience, the drafting experience with their friends or open it just to just have fun or they could do whatever they wanted with that. I mean, I know everyone loves cracking booster packs, so... Why not everyone have the chance to? Ooh, I love that. You know, Nathan, that has not been an answer yet on this show. Uh, Okay, yeah, the most recent booster box. Nathan, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Um, I could see that Magic the Gathering becomes more digitalized to match stuff like make it more of an eSport than how it currently is. Just because... As it is, Hearthstone and other games are becoming very popular, and I can imagine Magic morphing into something similar. And last, Nathan, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? You know, I mean, I would just request that if you guys have any questions or if you just, if you see me at an event, just head over and talk to me. I mean, I'm interested in talking to everyone in the Magic community and just getting acquainted. Very, very nice. And where can they find you on social media? So my Twitter tag is... Nathan Stoyer one. So search my name and 
hit me up. Uh, I'll be available if you need to answer any questions or if you just wanted to have a conversation, let me know. Yeah, I'm pretty open to talking to any listeners. Nathan, you know what's pretty funny is like looking at your uh, Twitter profile description. It says MTG obsessed, can't seem to qualify for a pro tour. And it's like a thumbs up emoji. So that's pretty funny. I don't know. I was just thinking like, hmm, magic's pretty difficult. Like, why, why is it so hard to get on a pro tour? What can I do? And just thought that'd be a pretty funny Twitter bio to post. <laughs> and you know what? One day you're going to get on that pro tour and you're also going to win a couple of GPs and a couple of pro tours. <laughs> and one day you're going to get in the Magic Hall of Fame and that description is going to change over the years. So it will be just wonderful to see how it changes. You know, Nathan, I just wanted to thank you and acknowledge you because you've got really a lot of courage to show up to these really competitive events, duke it out with the biggest and baddest Magic players out there and put up some really phenomenal results. You know, you not only inspire someone like me, but you're also inspiring a lot of younger players to be a role model to say, hey, you know what? I can do this. I can get to the higher echelons of play. And I just love how competitive you are. And you're also very mature. And you're also, you're a great player. So you've really also inspired me to really step up my game. Thanks so much, Sam. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Nathan, do you have any like final parting words for the listening audience? Or what would you like to say to the community? I would just like to say, be nice to whoever your opponent is and uh, make the Magic community feel welcome. I feel like everyone should be valued in the Magic community for what they introduce to it, even if you don't necessarily agree with them about everything. Hey everyone, welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the wonderful Ethan Brown. Ethan, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for the introduction, Sam. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to have you here on the show today. When you were 12, this was like, what, two years ago or three years ago, you um, got to the finals of GPLA. Yes, I did. I was playing Modern Affinity, which is my only modern deck that I ever play. I mean, Affinity is great. It's always great. Yeah, it's always great, right? It's always great. Like nothing really banned from it. Not really like ro- like totally rotation safe. Yeah, you were you crushed it, and everyone was so excited for you during coverage. I remember. I only lost in the finals to Murfolk, which is typically a great matchup, but he had some pretty good draws in like game two. I think he like top decked two Hercules recalls in a row, which was really bad for me because he bounced all my, basically all my cards to my hand and made me sacrifice my lands too, which is not good. So your record at GPLA is you went undefeated. I went undefeated. Day Day two, except for in the finals, of course. Yeah. And I went seven and two day one. Wow. Still to be 12 and yeah. only have two losses. I mean, pros do that. And I mean, it's even very rare for a pro to go completely undefeated in like the entire event. So that's quite an accomplishment, Ethan. Yeah, I probably got pretty lucky. But also, I think the meta was very ripe for affinity then. There's so much more to dig into, you know, especially when you just said, you know, the the meta was ripe for that. And also that, you know, I want to talk to you about your pro tour experience because that's like an amazing bucket list achievement. But like all things, we want to start at the beginning. Ethan, where did you grow up and how did you find magic? I grew up and I'm still living in Portland, Oregon. And I found magic by going to a game store when we were looking for a backgammon board, me and my dad, and they had magic posters everywhere. And we didn't end up getting any magic 
cards, we got a Warhammer 40,000 kit. And then later, we were in Washington, and there was this guy who was cracking packs and sorting cards. And I was like, well, what are you doing? What are those cards? And he's like, oh, you don't know? This is Magic the Gathering. <laughs> sorting Magic the Gathering cards. And I'm like, oh, that was one of the posters of that game store. And so when we got back to Oregon, we went to the store and bought a couple intro packs and started playing Magic. Wow, that is so cool. How old were you then, Ethan? I was about 10 years old, I believe. Oh my goodness. You went from 10-year-old intro pack player to pro tour competitor in two years? I believe so. You haven't even taken algebra in like high school yet and you're already on the pro tour? I haven't even entered high school yet. (laughs) Obviously. That's amazing. That is just absolutely incredible. I mean, like, obviously, I would be like asking you, like, what are you drinking in your water, right? Like, are you eating all your spinach? But I also want to ask you, Ethan, it's like, what do you do to prepare to be so competitive about something so complex at such a young age? I just play a lot of magic with one deck and learn which decks I should sideboard against and how to sideboard against those decks. Interesting. Do you have a particular process or you just like get all the deck decks and just start reading all the articles? I just kind of, I like MTG Goldfish for looking at what are the top decks at the moment. Uh Uh-huh. And I just like to try and master a single deck or deck list and being able to know that deck and know how to play it very well. Uh Uh-huh. That's really cool. Yeah, you hear that, Saffron Olive? You're contributing to the future generation of like a Hall of Famer, Ethan Brown. I mean, that's amazing. Okay, well, that's a lot of work. I mean, where do you find the time? I mean, obviously, you're like a kid and you have some time, but where do you find the time to go through all of that data? Well, I typically just do it uh, for fun in my spare time. I enjoy looking at deck lists and playing Magic. My dad has been very supportive of allowing me to play Magic Mm -hmm. multiple times a week. That's awesome. Yeah, your dad, Mark, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we met at GP Portland as well. Yeah, he's a really awesome guy. He is incredibly supportive. And, you know, I do have to say this, is that with these really amazing youth, you know, spell slingers, such as yourself and, like, Dana Fisher and, like, Nathan Stoyer and, like, the Kiefer brothers, like, Quinn and Jack, and you know, they all have incredibly supportive parents. Um. Yeah, dad's great. <laughs> is that all you got to say? You got nothing else to say <laughs> I mean, about that? Um, uh, my dad told me it was three years between when I started Magic and the pro um, and and the GP. So I got like one year off, but it still wasn't too long. And I was playing limited for most of that time. I had only started modern like. Uh, a little bit ago. And that was my first modern GP was GPLA. Wow, that is so cool. So you started off as a limited player. And how long have you been playing limited for? Or or did you, you know, really have a focus in it? Or do you just have like a natural gift? Um, I wasn't too great at drafting, but I was able to, I think I'm just really good at reading cards and seeing patterns and stuff. From day one uh, of playing Magic, my motto was, read the cards. All the things you need to know are in the card text. That's very clever. Always read the cards and always know what they're doing. You're going to be in a, a good spot. And earlier, Ethan, you were talking about patterns. You really look at patterns in the game that's helped you to succeed. What are some patterns that really stand out for you? 
Well, in the beginning, it was what each colors do. Like, oh, I know if I pick green, I'm going to have a lot of big creatures. But later, it was like, oh, if I see a deck that has I've played six removal spells, they're probably not going to have very many combat tricks or something like that if I'm playing like a draft or something. Hmm, interesting. Also, patterns in like drafting where I'm kind of good at seeing what colors are open, but that's more of just card evaluation. And when you see a good card in a color that really late, then you just pick that card and go with that color. You just know in each set, in each draft format, what are the good cards for those colors and those strategies? And if you see them fairly late, then you know that color is open. Yes. And how late is late? I would say like pack one, pick seven seems late for a certain card to be like, if you see like a braid seventh pick in your pack, that probably means not very many people to your passing to you are red or like back in Theros, which is my thing. Like if you get like a lightning bolt, a lightning strike, you almost never pass lightning strike in Theros block if you could help it. You're talking about being very observant about what is being passed to you. Also, do you have any advice about what you pass to signal? I'm not very great at signaling as I pass. I've watched like Louis Scott Vargas videos and he's like, if there's sometimes if there's like two really good white cards in a pack and only one lesser good like green card, you might be better off picking the green card because no one else is going to be in green and they're going to be fighting over the white. Oh, interesting. Have you employed that tactic to your benefit? I haven't drafted in a while. It's been mostly all modern now, but I, I have not tried that. But that is in the back of my mind that I should probably listen to or focus on that. Got it. So you do keep some of these heuristics, these kinds of magic theories and shortcuts in your mind when you are drafting. Yes. And earlier when you were saying that you played draft and then as a limited player and then you played modern and modern is what got you to the finals of GPLA, which also won you a Pro Tour invite. How long have you been preparing for modern back then when you were 12? I think I had just learned modern was at GP Las Vegas with the Modern Masters 2015 release. Uh huh. And then that's where I got into modern. I was in a side event and one of the guys in line was like, hey, you want to play modern? I've got two decks. I was like, okay. And then I was crushing with this Tron deck versus his uh, Soul Sisters. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. I want to get into modern. I started modern in August. GPLA was in May. So the next year after... Uh, I'd done that, so I'd been doing it for almost a year. So that's crazy. So August 2015, you started learning Modern. Yeah. And then May 2016, you got to the finals of GPLA. Yeah. And you were 12. (laughs) I was 12 then, yes. That's crazy. I had just won the TCG Player States at my local game store, and I had also gotten third place in the Star City Games States. My dad took that as a sign, like, oh my gosh, this kid's really good at magic, and was able to buy a plane ticket to Los Angeles, in which I got second place there. So you didn't necessarily have an intention to be like, I'm going to come and spike this tournament. You're just like, let's just go and have fun. Yes, that was definitely my goal. It was my first modern GP, like I said. So I had no idea how I was going to do. I might have gone 0-4 drop. I might have gained second place in the GP, and that's what happened. So what were your thoughts kind of going in round one of day two? I was just like, I want to win as many rounds as possible. Let's see how much I can win. When was that tipping point until you were like, okay, I've won a lot of rounds in day two? I think it was three or four. I think if I went, once I won the third round in a row, I'm like, my dad was like, oh my gosh, you could actually top eight this. Wow. 
Uh, and yeah, and then the last round was kind of like, this is for all the marbles. If I lose this, I don't make top eight. If I win this, I'm going to the pro tour. It was not safe for you to just intentionally draw into top eight. My dad had actually like calculated that if I did win, I would get ninth place. But apparently some crazy thing happened in the the top eight players where maybe they drew or something. And I ended up getting seventh place. When did it hit you that you are good enough to play on the pro tour? Some people came over and it's like, you know, if you're X and two, you're automatically invited to the pro tour. And I'm like, really? So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to the pro tour. Even if I don't top eight, that when I started like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to the pro tour. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay. So they announce the top eight and then they call your name. Uh, yeah. I mean, they call my name at seventh place and my dad was like, uh, what, what did I do wrong? Uh, and oh my gosh, you're going top eight. It's crazy. And you just were stunned. Yeah. I'm just like, sweet. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to top eight. What advice do you have for younger players that want to play Magic? Stick to what you know. If you can get really good at a single deck, you should probably stay with that deck in a format like Modern, which is what I recommend for the best format. Yeah, just play a lot and use the knowledge you gain from playing to get better at playing. Younger players sometimes don't have the finances to be able to buy some of these more expensive decks. What would you recommend that they do? Over the long run, draft and standard can get really expensive. If you don't have the money for a modern deck, you can just stick to one standard deck and don't change which standard deck you have. Just buy a good standard deck and just play that deck a ton. What advice do you have for players that want to level up and one day compete on the Pro Tour? If you're playing modern or other um, constructed formats, learn your sideboard. Your sideboard is probably the most challenging thing you can master of your deck. So the ability to know what you're going to sideboard as soon as you know what deck your opponent is, is very helpful. And also just play a lot with that deck in that format. Okay, and just get your reps in. Yeah, practice is key. Ethan, what would you say to parents who have kids that want to play competitively? Make sure they don't buy packs to crack them for cards. That's just a waste of money. Okay. Yeah, it's a, that's good advice. That's good advice. Also, if they're serious about playing Magic, over the long run, buying a modern deck and then sticking to that modern deck will be a lot cheaper than doing a draft like every week or continually cycling out standard decks. With the support that modern has right now, you can even get like a cheap modern deck. Like I said before, I really like MTG Goldfish, and they have a lot of $100 budget decks that get one of those and just hit your FNM. You can be leveling up your skill a lot. Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from Ethan Brown coming up in a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. All right, well, we've got some Patreon supporters gifts. And uh, Ethan, could you tell us what you're going to be getting for us? I will be signing a bunch of Ornithopters, which is one of my favorite cards from Affinity, my favorite modern deck. And the reason I like it so much is because it is only zero mana for an artifact creature flying. And you're able to make your creatures so big with Affinity, with Cranial Platings, Arcbound Ravengers, and Steel Overseers, that once you get one or two Ornithopters out, they could easily be like 
8 power, and for only 0 mana, an 8-2 flying is very good. <laughs> yeah, and especially because you got to the finals of GPLA playing Affinity, I'm pretty sure you have a lot of affinity for Ornithopter. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. My favorite art for Ornithopter is the M15 art mm -hmm. because it is a giant kite-like mechanism in the sky above the clouds and it can fit in any plane because you don't get to see the ground, so it could be any plane that has clouds. Ah, I get it. So yeah, the artwork, uh, if you see it on Scryfall, it's like this little turtle-shaped kite contraption, and it's above the clouds, and you can... I don't know what it is. It's like spires coming up, so maybe it's Ravnica, or maybe it's something else, but kind of can't tell what plane it's on. But it's also funny because, from a flavor perspective, Ornithopter has been reprinted so many times. Yeah, it's crazy how many times it's been printed. Also, the flavor text is that the artificers in Polino are making ornithopters to um, appease or catch the attention of Muzio, the best artificer on the plane of Polino. So it's just like a bunch of kind of kids or apprentices trying to seek the approval of a professional artificer. Oh, wow. I've never thought of it that way before. Yeah, it says, Once a year, the skies over Pagliano fill with the flying machines of those who hope to be taken on as pupils by the artificer Muzio. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's very endearing, Ethan. And you can also see, like, three birds in the art, and I love animals, so I like that they added birds flying below the ornithopter to see how high it is. Well, that's great, Ethan. I'm glad. I mean, that's a really special connection. So yeah, Patreon supporters, you will be getting a signed copy of Ornithopter from Ethan Brown. Thanks so much, Ethan. You're welcome. <laughs> This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. Kitchen Table Magic has been all about the origins of the game and the members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games are so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for weekly magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games with their friendly staff that allow local magic communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They have great online reviews that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Okay, everyone, and we are back. Ethan, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Awesome. Okay, rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Green, because it has great removal in fight cards, giant creatures, and elves. And I can't say no to a good elf. <laughs> I can't say no to a good elf. Awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, do you have a favorite elf or green card? I really like Corrin Ranger, I believe it's pronounced. Really great in Popper 
any popper green deck that uh, has a lot of creatures, such as Stompy or Popper Elves. And in paper, I do a lot of modern, but online, my favorite format is definitely Popper. Okay, interesting. And uh, Queer Ranger is one green for one one elf. Return a force you control to its owner's hand. Untap target creature uses ability only once each turn. So, I mean, you can do some pretty cool stuff with it. You can untap a stubborn nettle sentinel that just doesn't want to untap during its untap step. You can ramp if you only have if you don't have any lands in your hand. It's a form of hit, being able to kind of hit your land drops because you can re- force from mana, return to your hand, and then play it again. You can also generate two mana with it if you untap a Elvish Mystic as well as returning the force to your hand. So it's great as mana generation. And also, it can be really annoying because if your opponent forgets you, you have that ability, um, since you typically only activate on your turn, if they attack into it and you've got a tapped big creature, you can untap it by just returning to a force to your hand. And if you were going to pair green with another color or a combination of colors, what would you pair it with? I would pair green with white because green-white can make a lot of tokens if you're playing in Ravnica, but also has the most combat tricks and most sets, I believe. White-red's kind of taken over in the combat trick area, but green-white used to be the combat trick colors, and I do love good combat trick. Okay, so you are the Selesnia guild then. Definitely. I have a Selesnia shirt in my drawer right now. Okay, Ethan, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? It would be that Popper would be a supported paper format. I would love for them to make Popper GPs, but at the very least, make Popper an actual format in paper. Okay, okay. I really like that. That's awesome. You are a champion of the little people. Yes, I am. That's what Affinity does. Plays a bunch of little people on turn one and then pumps them up to make them powerful. Okay, Ethan, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? It would probably be a Popper deck, so everyone can know the amazingness of playing Popper. I'm starting to see a pattern here. (laughs) Which Popper deck would you give them? Like one of their choice, or do you have a favorite one? My favorite one is probably Popper Affinity. Affinity's also a thing in Popper. Yes, that's right. So yeah, that that or Bogles. Bogles was my first popper deck, so I always have a soft spot for that. Ethan, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I see way more support for modern. I think they're starting to do it with how good the modern format is right now in balancedness, but they're also they just brought back the modern pro tour and i think they're going to do a lot more support for modern in the future which would be great okay yeah i do hope modern does get bigger you know obviously with the whole reserve list thing you know legacy vintage it's not going to get obviously any reprints but modern modern safe modern can get as many reprints and modern possibly could be that new you know eternal format so just from personal experience at friday night magic my favorite local game store hosts standard draft and modern and modern is by far the biggest in terms of people showing up to it yeah totally totally okay ethan and last do you have any asks of the listening audience like where they can find you on social media i don't really do much of the social media stuff but all i ask from the listening audience is that you continue to play and love the game of magic 
Awesome. Well, Ethan, I just really wanted to thank you for being on the show. You know, I was so excited when I met you at GP Portland, and I was so pleased to be paired up against you. And it's an honor to lose so badly against you. <laughs> I lost. I got just got stomped. It was really an honor because just to be able to sit in front of you and play a game of magic with you as a person, I really felt like I was able to connect and really get to know you as a person because like your demeanor, you're, you've got a great spirit. You got a big smile on your face. You're really easygoing. And you're a very, very thoughtful player. And so I just I just love seeing that about you. And I know you are going to be the future generation of Magic the Gathering. I know you are going to be a staple on the Pro Tour. I know that you are definitely going to have your name on one, if not many more of those uh, Hall of Fame ballots and very likely your acceptance into the Hall of Fame as well. So I'm super excited for all of that. You're a great player. I want you to continue to think about the game, continue to share your thoughts in the game, teaching the game as well to younger players and also, you know, anyone else like, you know, anyone that also wants to listen to like what you have to contribute, I think would be also fantastic because we need we need as much content as we can right now. You know, I just really wanted to thank you for your courage. Thank you for joining this community, being a part of the Magic the Gathering community, sticking with it and also doing so awesome in all of these events. It's great to see you on coverage. And I also I wanted to acknowledge your dad, Mark. He's an awesome dad. He's an awesome parent. He supports you. He loves you. He just takes care of you. He buys you plane tickets to places and he also play tests with you. So that's just like some great dedication. And I really want to acknowledge your dad, Mark, and all the other wonderful parents out there supporting their kids in Magic the Gathering. So thanks so much for being here, Ethan. I am flattered. Um, You're welcome for coming on the show or thank you or whatever. I'm just stunned. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the little mage, Miley Chen, and her dad, Min Chen. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's been great today, playing magic, kind of, not really. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, Miley and Min, where are you joining us from? Uh, we're from Boston, Massachusetts. Recently, you were featured on a Magic the Gathering article on from Wizards of the Coast. Could you tell us a little bit about that? My dad and I were playing some two-headed giant at GP Vegas, and we had some fun there. We didn't have the best pool, but that's usually how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Not having the best pool happens to me a lot. (laughs) Min, you also had another result at GP Vegas. Yeah, I I managed to uh, top eight uh, the limited portion of the GP, which was quite a surprise. I, I was kind of surprised, kind of happy. And I was also kind of lucky that this happened at GP Vegas because that was a four-day GP with a limited portion coming from Friday to Saturday. And so when I initially told Molly we'd be going to GP Vegas, he asked, oh, are we going to play Two-Headed Giant? I'm like, yeah, on, on the second day, we play Two-Headed Giant. And then so on the first day of the limited GP, you know, she was there drafting, obviously, in the main event. And when it looked like I might get to day two, she got kind of got upset. I was like, what's wrong? She says, oh, if you make day two, then we can't play Two-Headed Giant. And <laughs> she said, I don't think I really want you to make day two. And then I explained, <laughs> because the limited GP would end on Saturday, we would have Sunday to play Two Headed Giant, and then she broke right back up. You did end up top aiding that, and that earned you a Pro Tour qualification. Yep, that's true. Yep. Yeah, congratulations. Which Pro Tour is it? Uh, Exelon in Albuquerque. This will be my first time. Wow, that's awesome. That's the dream. I've gathered you both here today, and I wanted to just, like all things, start at the beginning. So, Miley, tell me, where did you grow up, and how did you find magic? 
So I grew up in Boston, never really moved, and um, I started like learning magic when I was just watching my dad doing work and drafting, you know? I played Pokemon before magic. One of our drafts in Theros, we saw uh, worst fears go by in our colors. Was it in our colors? I don't I, think it was in our colors. So one of the very early drafts, you know, it was, I believe, a Theros Born of the Gods draft. She was sitting in my lap and I had taught her about the various rarities of cards. Um, and she knew that orange rarity, the mythics were very special and very cool. So in my Born of the Gods pack, I opened up a mythic, Worst Fears, which is, I, if I remember correctly, seven in the black and you take control of your opponent's turn. It's a sorcery speed. It's a terrible card. It's, it's a card that's way too expensive. It's so situational that it's just not good. But she sees it and she's like daddy daddy it's a mythic you have to take it i'm like no it's a bad mythic i don't think we should take this just daddy it's a mythic you really have to take it and you know i thought it was the wrong choice but i, I kind of knew where she was coming from because i've i've always lo loved those like rare cards the splashy cards and stuff like that and i, I kind of felt it was important to you know indulge her a little bit because she was indulging me by letting me play magic you know by watching me play magic all day um so i took the card put it in my deck and it didn't really do much until the final game of the final match where I was playing against a blue-white heroic deck that, that was just beating me down. I had no creatures left. It had this huge creature, flying creature, I think maybe with Hexproof, I don't remember, with a ton of counters, ton of enchantments on it, and it was just going to kill me next turn. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm dead. And then I, I take my turn and I top decked. What card did I top deck? Worst Fears. I top decked Worst Fears. I was like, well, okay, this, this isn't the worst card. So I, I, I cast Worst Fears and my opponent is like, oh, okay. And then I take his turn and he top decks the one card in his entire deck that could deal with his own creature. It was like a bounce spell, like his only removal spell. It was a bounce spell that bounces creature, bounced everything off of it, got rid of all the enchantments. <laughs> he was like, oh my goodness, there's no way that just happened. And, and I managed to stabilize and win from that position. So Molly is very fond of this story because it proves how wrong I was <laughs> in my evaluation of Worst Fears. Miley, would you say that that card, Worst Fears, lived up to its name? Yes, it did live up to its name in Worst Fearing Someone to Death, kind of. <laughs> what was your reaction, Miley, when that happened? I was so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best day ever. <laughs> Yeah, she's yeah, she's very fond of that story. It's a good memory for her. That is too funny. Miley, did you notice any salt from your dad's opponent? Yeah, it seemed a little salty, but from what I've learned, people on Magic tend to be have good personalities and I mean I've I've played this guy a couple times since. Um he's he's a he's a nice guy. He was a little surprised, maybe slightly salty, as I think many of us would be be in by a completely unexpected card. But he, he behaved well and actually Miley, what was one what was the first thing I told you when you wanted to play Magic? Well, you so, have to be okay with losing. That's right. The first thing I told her, basically before playing any sort of game, especially against other people, is that you can't play a game unless you're okay with losing. Miley, what's it like to learn magic at such a young age? It was really fun. Like, I enjoyed playing with all these cool dragons and stuff, but I also enjoyed, like, beating some people for the first time when I was young. And yeah, it was really fun. What did it feel like to win your first few matches against, you know, much older Magic players? It felt really good. Um, the first time I played by myself was at a GP? No, no. it was at a... I don't know. 
So again, Molly is very independent and she wanted to draft by herself, but I, I had some fears about that. Like, um, not so much that she wouldn't behave or that, you know, that people might be mean to her, but kind of just like a mix of like, what's the worst that could happen? Like bad things could happen. Like she might uh, mess up the draft or she might need to read all the cards or she might feel a lot of pressure. And so I, I, I didn't want to let her draft by herself until, you know, she watched me draft a couple of times. And then finally she, uh, she she got impatient. She decided she was old enough. And I was like, okay, PAX, this was around the time um, that PAX East rolled around. We went to PAX East um, and they, they, they were running magic drafts. I believe it was Fate Reforged Dragons of Tarkir. I was like, okay. So then we, we signed up for a draft and, and, and we played. And how did you do? I won the draft. <laughs> That's right. She won. Her, she won her very first draft. Wow. Um, technically, so technically, um, we were on opposite sides, I guess, of the bracket, and we both made the finals, and we split. So I was like, okay, let's just play a friendly game and and see who would have won. <laughs> and she kicked, and she probably kicked my butt. And I was like, oh, okay. Miley, there was a period of time when you were at home with your dad and your friends, learning how to play Magic, and then also you made this transition, just like your dad had said, about you eventually going out and playing Magic on your own or drafting on your own, and also going to large competitive events like GPs, you know, obviously not by yourself with your dad, but competing as a standalone player. What were some things that you had to prepare for or get ready for? I just brought my dice and bag and stuff, but with these big tournaments, you have to prepare to lose. That's so interesting. Could you share more about that concept or where you learned about that concept from? So I learned that concept from my dad about you have to be okay with losing because like I was really young at that age. Well, I was somewhat young at the time and I tended to win a lot <laughs> with my dad for reasons of which I'm pretty sure he let me win. But I didn't really know a ton about the concept of losing. Like in Pokemon, he usually let me win. So he had to kind of like build that up that concept so I could, you know, play in more competitive areas and without having this terrible attitude and be really annoying, you know. Your dad told you, get ready to lose and be prepared to lose. Why do you think he says something like that to you? I also don't think he doesn't really, he wants to really have me be super cocky. And so that, like, I'm not that one player that everyone, like, hates and at the store and it's like, I don't want to play. Do you think it's possible for you to win all the time? No. Would you say that maybe learning to lose is maybe an important part of playing Magic? Yeah, I think learning to lose is a very important part of Magic because you'll lose in your first couple of games. Not just your first couple of games. You're going to lose in... the. Well, we're going to play Magic for probably several more years and you're going to lose a lot of those matches, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, like you gotta, you're going to lose even when you get better. What are some of the things, Miley, that you think skill-wise or practice-wise that you think you can do to get better at magic? I think I can get a little better at like remembering certain triggers because I tend to forget some of my triggers and maybe being a little bit more consistent with drafting, but I think I'm still pretty good. <laughs> Listeners, if you if you just heard what Miley said, I mean, didn't Miley just say kind of the thing that every Magic player, like, let's not forget our triggers and let's draft more consistently. So that, that puts things into such perspective because, I mean, Miley, you're 10. <laughs> you're 10 and you're like in my head right now saying really kind of like the similar things that I'm saying, which is so fascinating. It seems to me, Miley, that you've really started to understand kind of these universal truths about Magic as a game and how players really think to evolve and get better. You talked a lot about drafting, Miley. Do you play some other formats other than limited? Um, well, I kind of play standard eh, about modern, but you know, I play standard for like the game days now to be store championships, but I mostly usually draft. We decided to have a little bit of a brew and I played 
uh, red blue bolas. Ooh, red blue bolas. So this is her first attempt at a control deck because one thing she hates is is she hates playing against control decks. She hates playing against counter spells. And I think previously she maybe did not have quite the patience to you know leave the mana up, take some damage, and just run your counters at the right moment. She was super, super, super excited about Nicole Bolas. She's one of those people who was super also super, super depressed when the Gatewatch killed uh, Ulamog and Kozilek. She thought that was stupid. She was depressed when she thought that Emrakul was going to lose. Um, she was very happy at how that actually turned out and she was super excited that the game watch was finally going to lose especially at the hands of Bolas what, what she wanted most of all to play for game day she, she, she didn't really care what deck she played she just wanted to play a deck with Nicole Bolas Miley, what are some of your favorite formats? You know, we talked about kind of like the possibility of you playing control. Do you like to play aggro, combo, or mid-range? I don't tend to really like playing combo. I just feel like it's get the combo pieces. You win. Mid-range is a lot better for me, but I kind of like playing the big creatures and ramp, stuff like that. Did you like playing Ronas? Ronas was fun. I didn't really play him a lot, though. What about Glorybringer? Glorybringer, I kind of did play in my control deck for a little bit, and then really worked a lot. But, you know, I like Glorybringer, Big Dragon, Rawr, Breezefire. I really like this deck. It didn't really do so well, but, you know, you don't really have to do well. Collected Company deck? Eh, it was okay. Like, I don't remember a ton from there, but it was kind of more of a combo deck where you get everything <laughs> That's so funny. What about the green-red deck with World Breaker? Did you like that? I liked green-red with World Breaker. It was kind of smashy, and you hit people, and then you spun Marvel and played Ulamog. Wait, you played that deck? I played Sultai Marvel. I played Sultai Marvel. <laughs> Miley, what about Commander? So, I enjoy Commander. My dad kind of thinks it's stupid because <laughs> you play stupid cards and then win. We play more of a casual Commander. One of my favorite moments in Commander is Fall Heart of the Wild deck. Um, and I made 75, 75 Brood Hydra copy things. Hydra Broodmaster? Hydra Broodmaster things. And you made 75 of them? Yes. Yeah, that was, that were that all was, 75, 75. That was pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. So, Miley, you're obviously firmly entrenched in the game and that you have a pretty decent regimen for learning how to play, how to improve. You've also got a great coach in your dad to help you and also kind of train you. You're going to plenty of events. You're a quite a young player for spe- you know someone who is 10. Miley, do you have any goals for yourself in terms of magic? Um, so we're going to go to a Team GP. GP Providence. In- Providence for Ixalan, and I want to try and do well in that and see how well I can actually do with some of the better players. For now, I think my goal might be to maybe try going to GP by myself at some point. So she plays a lot. Um, she plays a lot at the local game store, uh, FNM's game days, uh, drafts there. At bigger events, um, we usually play together to head of giants. At GP Providence, we're going to be playing in the team. It's a team limited GP. We'll be playing as a team, and I think our goal I said was four and five if we were lucky. Yeah. Yeah, that that'll be our goal. I think it's a nice goal. Past that, um, if you're interested in playing a GP by yourself, I'm. Totally up for that. See me do terrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, that doesn't matter. Yeah, I think you'll do fine. You know, there's lots of young players who have day two a GP being very young and also gone to the finals of a GP being very young. And so, you know, Miley, definitely have that mindset that you don't have to lose. You can go in and win nonstop. (laughs) It's true. Uh, That that can happen. (laughs) Miley, what's some of your mindsets when you play Magic? 
I tend to stay calm, so I can kind of be like, okay, what do I need to do? How can I win this game? In a bad situation, I kind of get, I get more tilted and like, it's harder when I'm losing a game, but I've made Would comeback you... I'm quite proud of in game day. I only won one game because my dad beat me in the top eight, but uh, the game went to three because I was playing Black Green Delirium and he was playing Mardu Vehicles, and I made a comeback from eight life by drawing two consecutive Ishkamas. There's a lot of people who play Magic who, who play for fun, and that's that's great, but I think would you say you have a winning mentality that you actually want to win? I want to win, but, you know, I feel like a lot of people want to win, but lose anyway and fall with grace. Do you ever set maybe secondary goals for yourself when you play a match? Like, if yeah. you feel like you might not win? If I feel like I might not win, I set maybe, like, a secondary goal of maybe, like, bringing this round to three, um, if it's against a really hard opponent or something like that. So just winning one game and just seeing where it goes from there? Yeah. Do you remember that game where you were playing uh, Abyssinian Priest? Yes, I do remember that game where I was playing Abyssinian Priest, and I lost the game because I didn't know uh, how the tap triggers. Abyssinian Priest is uh, is was was a tapper in uh, Shadows from Innistrad, and she was playing a a, a pretty hard opponent who's who's really good at the game, and she had him on the ropes, but she didn't quite figure out that she was supposed to tap her opponent's creatures at the end of his end step. She would try to do it right before his creatures could... His creatures usually had some sort of ability, and he would. she would try to uh, tap them right before they used that ability, which didn't work because you can because her opponent could just tap them in response and, and, and do damage or whatever the card did. Um, so she ended up losing that game. But um, is that it was a good lesson for how to use tapping triggers and a good lesson in general of not being too cocky and not really knowing how to tap creatures. <laughs> the important thing is learning from your mistakes and getting better. Yeah, I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I and Molly, I go through the same thing all the time. I make lots of mistakes, and the important thing I've discovered is just to learn from them and just figure out how you can do better next time. It's all about learning. It's all about asking why. Okay, if the game is a little hard for them to learn, do you have any tips for them? Depending on the store, like most people there should be really friendly, and you, you should be fine with asking people about what their opinion is. Like, should I put in this card or? this card instead of this card, you know? People are usually really friendly in the magic community, and I feel like they should feel free to ask. When we travel, like, if, if we're vacationing in, like, say, like, Maine, or we travel to California, um, a lot of times we'll just go to a random magic store to, uh, for an F&M draft, and almost invariably, the people we meet are super nice, they're super friendly, um, super supportive. It's, it's a great community to be a part of. Miley, also in the magic community, I'm sure you've noticed there's a lot of guys that play this game, and you are a young girl, and also you are going to be the future of Magic the Gathering. Do you have anything to say to the community as a whole about having more girls play Magic the Gathering? Most people think it's more of a boy game because of dragons and wizards and things like that. But girls can play in it too. Like, it's not just a boys game. Like, people would think of, like, soccer. Girls can be in it too. Miley, what advice do you have for players that want to get better at Magic the Gathering? I tend to watch a lot of drafts, since that's what I'm mainly interested in. Watching some of the pros do what they do really helps, because you can learn why, let's say, you might want to use the, uh, use something instead of something else. Like, it helps with the learning experience instead of, even though, uh, learning it for yourself is great, 
I think learning it from the pros is also great, too. Do you have a favorite pro you'd like to watch? Um, I like watching LSV. He has good commentary, which I tend to like a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, LSV's commentary is fantastic. Miley, you talked a lot before about kind of your mindset, making sure you have your expectations properly tuned. And you're also thinking to yourself, you know, if I'm about to lose or if I'm on the back foot, what can I do to reposition myself to gain those incremental advantages, perhaps force a game three or something like that? And you're also saying to yourself, you know, be okay with losing because that's really how you learn. How do you deal with an opponent, perhaps, that you have defeated and they are somewhat taken aback that someone so young and so skillful has beaten them? I try to be really friendly to them, maybe talk with them a little bit and just don't brag about it, you know? Like, you want to make friends in this community and I think bragging is kind of just bad. Like, you should try and be friendly to them. Uh, maybe like, oh, may I look at your deck and maybe your pool? And if they have something that may not be the best, you can one card might be better than the other. You can like, hey, I think this card is better because than this card because of, you know, blank. You want to demonstrate good sportsmanship and you also want to be contributing to someone else in the community. Miley, what is it like to have such a big age disparity between you and your opponents? Do you feel like you're able to connect with your opponents? Uh, sometimes it's a little harder to connect and maybe a little bit intimidating, but usually we, uh, grown-ups and I get along. At our local game store, do you feel intimidated when you play against some of the adults we played with, play with a lot? No, not really, because we've been friends for a little while, and we know each other pretty well. And I mean, it's all for the fun, I guess. And it seems like they're surprised and awed by when I beat them. And I think that's cool. But, you know, we respect each other greatly. And I think they're becoming less and less surprised, actually. Yeah. So, Miley, people that you play with are slowly getting used to the fact that you're going to be beating them consistently from this point moving forward. Don't really beat them consistently. There's some pretty tough players there, and it's not always a 100%. Now, I'll tell you a secret, Miley. I actually I keep counting my head of which players you have beat and which ones you have not yet beaten. And whenever you beat a player for the first time, I get super excited. Miley, I really liked how you shared some of these things. But, you know, for your dad, Min, I wanted to ask you as well. Min, what would you like to say to parents that have kids that want to play Magic the Gathering? I think it's important that you set expectations correctly. A kid playing a Magic or any new person playing Magic, they're not going to win all the time. The way I taught Miley was we got some Magic cards, we played together. I told her, you're going to lose a lot. You have to be okay with losing. The second thing I told her is, I'm never going to let you win. Whenever you win, it's going to be real. You will have earned it. And then I let her win about 50% uh, of the time in the beginning. And then, you know, as time went on, because I thought it was important that, you know, children, they need those exciting moments. So it's moments when they when they believe that they that they learn something new, that they they acquired a new skill and overcame a pretty hard opponent. And then as she got older, um, I, I told her, you know what? I actually did actually used to let you win, but I'm not going to do that anymore. And I don't let her win anymore. Like now she knows whenever she beats me is for real. And when we get when we play against each other in game day or in the FNM, most of the time I, I'll beat her. But like a lot of the times, um, she, uh, some of the times she'll she'll beat me for real, and I'll be very surprised, and I'll be like, you know you beat me for real. That's 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 a really good job. And she'll she'll have a feeling of, of accomplishment from that, I think. I guess the other thing I would say is that one, I, I'm very lucky that Molly was so interested in playing Magic. But, you know, if she wanted to play anything else, like she's always been the, the sort of child that, that, that likes, you know, ninjas, Star Wars, uh, you know, maybe more traditionally boys, boy sort of things. But if she wanted to play, you know, like 
fairies and like tea parties and princesses, I, I, I would no problem doing that. Um, I think it's important for any parent to just be supportive of what their child wants to do and give as much support to that as possible. What would you like to say to other players when facing up against Miley and other younger mages? I think a lot of magic players, they'll, they'll instinctively do the right thing. This is just from what I've seen. Like they'll, they'll, they'll treat the, they'll treat younger players with respect. They'll be graceful when they win. They'll be graceful, gracious if they lose. And I, I think continuing to encourage players like that is great. And, you know, it's something that a lot of the grownups in, in my local game store do. Like we'll help younger players build their decks, um, during a pre-release or after a draft, give them encouragement, um, tell them about certain cards they might want to trade for, things like that. I think magic players should understand that you know magic has to be a growing community it, it's not going to end magic's not going to end at um our generation there will be future people who who will want to play too and we should support that as much as possible and miley do you have anything that you'd like to say to the greater magic community magic is a great game and if you have started to pick up the cards and gotten less interested you should try and pick them up again because magic is a great game and you're gonna meet a lot of friends there and it's just a great community to be in Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from Miley coming up in just a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. Okay, everybody. And so for Patreon supporters, Miley has a special gift for you. Miley, could you tell us what it is? All right. So I will be signing a whole bunch of ironclad revolutionaries. Card from Aether Revolt, four and two black. It's a uncommon, and when it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice an artifact. And if you do that, you can put two plus one plus one counters on it, and each opponent loses two life. That's the worst card ever. Why, my? Three and two-headed giant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Min says it's the worst card ever, and Miley, you say it's pretty good in Two-Headed Giant. Miley, what's your connection with Ironclad Revolutionary? So Ironclad Revolutionary was a card that I played in my Aether Revolt pre-release. Did I tell you not to play that card? Did you listen to me? No, I did not listen to you in terms of not playing the card, because I thought it was a great card. And so I was in a game. It was round four of, a, of the pre-release, and the winner would get a uh, pack. Right? Yeah. So we wanted the pack. My opponent was at like a couple of lives. It was like six or eight. Basically, I uh, had a couple of creatures on board and I was like doing all this math in my head and being silent for a while. And I had the Ironclad Revolutionary in my hand and I basically swung out. They blocked my strongest creatures. I did the couple of damage that I needed to bring them down to two life. And then I slammed that Ironclad Revolutionary my artifact in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you did that. That was that was kind of a, a level up moment for me too because Molly was actually pretty sick that day and a little bit grumpy. And so this was a game three of the match and time was starting to run out. And Molly was just there staring at her cards and staring at the board. I wasn't sure if she was thinking really hard or if she was just kind of like zoning out and like falling asleep or something. I, I didn't know. And her opponent, you could, her opponent was getting like a little uh, antsy because time was running out. But finally, Molly just pushes forward and attacks with everything. In my head, I was like, okay, Molly, Molly just messed up because her opponent
opponent can block this and that and that and go down to and survive this attack at um, a couple of life. And then her opponent will win on the crackback. But Molly attacks and I'm like, okay, well, we'll see if Molly learns from this. Her opponent blocks and goes down to life. And then Molly plays Ironclad Revolutionary and says, I will sack this artifact and I think you lose two life. And her opponent's like, oh, I guess I do. And I was like, wow. And then afterwards I went to Molly and asked, did you really just do all that math to figure out if Ironclad Revolutionary could be in the game? And she was like, yeah, dad, I did. I don't know why you're so surprised. I was like, well, you know, I kind of am. I'm very impressed. <laughs> I love it. You attacked. You knew your opponent, Miley, was going to underestimate you. Allow that two little bits of life to remain. And then you just windmill slam the Ironclad Revolutionary, enters the battlefield trigger, sacks the artifact, and then that triggers the loss of life. So you're like, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great moment. And I felt really good. It's fantastic because I really noticed that when younger players are really understanding of something they just kind of windmill slam the motion and uh, older players that kind of don't see that line are like uh-oh <laughs> it's like uh-oh but it worked out that's great that's wonderful Miley well listeners if you heard that and you really enjoyed that story we're gonna have Miley signing a whole bunch of ironclad revolutionaries for you and I'm gonna be giving them away to patreon supporters and I'll give you more details at the end of the show so thanks so much for that Miley you're welcome Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of Magic cards, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern, commander, legacy, and standard staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic cards. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of their pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Be sure to sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes, special deals, and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, fast shipping, great customer service, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to help support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. All right, everyone, we're back. Miley, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Miley, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? My favorite color is green because I was introduced to magic by my dad. And it was kind of a let's push her into magic and see how she likes it. And like my dad says, green tends to be the favorite of a lot of players who are kind of pushed in. But green is really fun because you get to play big creatures and win the game with them. If you could pair green with another color, what other colors would you choose? Uh, all of them. Okay. <laughs> okay, all of them. Wonderful, wonderful. Miley, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I don't think there's a lot to change. Um, I might make some new creature types because I think that could get a little bit more interesting, but they already have these great types like Aetherborn and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So you would like make more creature types. What are some creature types you'd like to make, Miley? With the new Unset coming out, I would like to make some fun creature types. Like wall. Wait, what? Like a literal wall. <laughs> <laughs> like literal wall. Literal wall. Okay, so Miley, you know that there already are walls. No, but this is a literal wall. What? Uh, okay, what? so Miley, what is a literal wall? <laughs> it's a wall that does nothing. 
<laughs> it's a wall that does nothing. I think walls already really do nothing. <laughs> no, but it, like, the text is literally, this does nothing. Okay. What? Well, okay. Well, Mark Rosewater, if you're listening to this podcast, Miley uh, has some ideas for uh, Unset 3, Unstable, and maybe even the fourth Unset. Who knows? Literally do nothing. Okay. I love it. <laughs> Miley, rapid question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Mm, a Black Lotus and have them drop down in price. Okay, so you'd give everyone a Black Lotus and have the Black Lotuses drop down in price. What price would you like those Black Lotuses to be dropped down to? Less than what they are. <laughs> okay, less anything less than what they are. What would it feel like to be able to give every player a Black Lotus? It would feel great. Be like... Hey, here's a black lotus. Bye. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. All right. So, uh, reserve list fanatics and uh, card collectors and speculators, uh, watch out because if uh, Miley ever got a job at Watsi, the first reprint is going to be Black Lotus at Common. <laughs> okay, Miley. Rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic: The Gathering? I see great kids rising up to become the great pros and having the cycle over continue over and over again. Wow. Okay, so you really see the next generation flourishing. Yep. Who are some younger players that are, you know, maybe well-known or maybe not well-known or maybe or maybe not pros that you think are going to be the next Hall of Famers? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> None comes to mind so far, but maybe yourself? <laughs> a dream come true. Okay. So we'll see about that. We'll see about that. And we know you're working towards it. Okay, okay. Miley, and last, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Um, well, listening audience, if you do play Magic, or if you listen to this podcast and want to get into Magic, I think it would be a great idea, because it really helps the Magic community become a better community. I love it. You are like our little ambassador, welcoming people to play the game. Miley and Vin, thank you so much for being here today. I really wanted to acknowledge the both of you, because it really takes a lot to allow the game of Magic to flourish. Wizards of the Coast is doing so much, content creators like me are doing so much, pros are doing so much, the tournament organizers, the judges, the vendors, everyone who loves the game and plays the game. And also what's so loving about your relationship, Min and Miley, is that you've got a father-daughter relationship, a father who loves the game that's passing it on to the next generation. So I really wanted to acknowledge you, Min, as a parent. Thank you so much for supporting Miley into this wonderful game. And also, Miley, I wanted to acknowledge and thank you as well. You know, like your energy, your positivity, your willingness to make friends, be really part of the community and also grow the community. It takes a lot of courage from anyone, let alone a 10-year-old girl. So I really wanted to thank you and acknowledge you, Miley, for that. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. And thank you to the Magic community as a whole for being such a wonderful place to help me raise my daughter. It's a wonderful environment. I love it. Yeah, it was an honor being here. Um, and it was a great chance to talk to so many people about Magic. And for those of you out there, again, Magic is a great game that you should get into. And it is made by great people. That And it started from, like, a dream of and it started from a dream <laughs> <laughs> it's okay Molly your turn it happens I, I'm hurt on more cause no less that, that came from the heart I'm sure <laughs> Hi, 
how has magic been for you since that moment there? You know, I was playing off and on, and then the first time I really saw I went to competitive magic was actually a the release at Card Kingdom of Fate Reforged. And I remember Sam coming up to me, and I only could stay for one round. And my parents were with me, and they were like, hey, Sam, hi. And we all, like, talked for a minute. And then Sam gave my parents an Ugin, which was just released, and said, when he does his chores in the next week, give it to him. And I was like, and I looked at it from my parents' hand, and I was like, oh, my God. Because at the time, right before release, it was like a $50 card. People were hyping it up. This was a, the the regular Ugin? Yeah, it was the regular. I can't remember if it was the regular Ugin or it was like the super fancy promo. No, it was definitely the regular. Cause, yeah, because yeah, those are really expensive. Yeah, so I was like, you know, it'd be cool because you like came out to play in this like release. You know, you were, it was like sealed. It was challenging and you were at Card Kingdom and there were a lot of like much older players who were like Oof. super spike. And so I was like... You know what? Like, I'm just going to go pick one of these up. They were saying it was going to be played in, like, Tron and, like... It is. <laughs> it, it was. still is. <laughs> it still is, yeah. And it and it shot up to, like, 50 bucks the next day. It, it really was, like, the best speculative thing I've ever done. And then the second time Sam came over to my house, this was even funnier, is he saw the Ugin and it was in, like... I was playing it, but it wasn't in a sleeve. And Sam came over and he was like, oh my God, what is happening here? <laughs> what is this travesty? And like, like, he leaves my house. Five minutes later, he comes back with like a hundred sleeves. And he's like, he walks over to the Oog and picks it up and throws it in a sleeve and then double sleeves it. I was like, what just happened? And he was like, one, this is a good card. Take care of it. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? You know, when you're a kid, you have a different perception about cards, about sleeving cards. For you, it's like it's a game and this is like just a, another card, right? And then I notice that when people are older or at least just for me, I look at like a particular value to a card because I assign a financial value to everything. For my bar mitzvah almost a year ago now, my mom has a friend whose daughter goes to my school. And for my bar mitzvah, they gave me upwards of 50,000 cards. And they were all from like Urza's block, Visions, like Mirage. And it was like insane. All over my room, I have these giant boxes full of cards. And every day I go through them looking for that value because... Now I know that even like basic lands, which now if you pick up, say, an Ixalan land, they're going to be like one cent. But these like Mirage lands are like five dollars each. And I'm like, whoa. So like I'm going around like sorting through, finding brainstorms. Like I found like a German channel. I found a few like unlimited berserks or revised berserks. Anyway, it was really crazy, and <laughs> Sam came over that day, too, and he was like, well, now you can play Legacy, and I'm like... <laughs> now uh, you can play Vintage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was like, well, I need the Power 9. He was like, uh, yeah, uh, you probably can't get that. That's probably a little expensive, unless you want to spend all your bar mitzvah money. It's funny, because we're sitting in your room right now, and, I mean, this is a pretty average, like, you know, 13-year-old kid's room. It's, like, mildly messy. There's, like, a backpack, and... You know, just binders. Like binders and things. And like one thing that's really characteristic, if you were here right now, is that there is a massive pile, excuse me, two massive piles of magic cards from Urza's block, Mirage, just kind of sitting around. And every once in a while, your eye is going to get fixated to like 
an unsleeved defense of the heart or an unsleeved ice age brainstorm or an unsleeved duress from Urza's block. A snapcaster mage. <laughs> I mean, and it's funny because it's like, you know, the fall It's like, it, re- it reminds me of this, like raking leaves and it's like that big of a pile. And over there in the corner, there are literal shoeboxes filled with magic cards. My parents call it a little bit obsessive when I come up here and just start sorting. But I'm like, no, I'm just looking for dollar bills. And they're like, there's no dollar bills here. I'm like, every magic card in this these boxes are dollar bills. And so like, I'll just come up here and I'm like, oh, yeah, here's like a mana drain. So one thing that's really stood out for you, Leo, is that you were gifted a huge cachet of magic cards. Huge. Like we're talking about really old stuff from Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, I'd no say. No Beta and no Alpha. Be- no Beta and Alpha, but like, I have like revised. In like my, my, in like my binders, I have like legend stuff. Not mm-hmm. like candelabras, but close. Okay, so some really old stuff, and you're still sorting through it. It's been like a year, and you're still slowly making your way through it. Oh my god, it's so much cards. What really are you present to today in this huge cachet of cards versus several years ago when I first met you, and you were just like a slightly younger kid sitting on the floor of your room being like, I love Planeswalkers. I really didn't know what the difference was between like, like I just thought Planeswalkers are overpowered, and now... Like, one of my things now is I have this with my friend is we say, if someone's like, whoa, I just got a Planeswalker. I'm like, cool. Planeswalkers are a little overrated, but they're still kind of cool. And so you come from this place of, like, loving. Like, I remember, like, the first time I learned it was at a Jewish summer camp in an hour north of Seattle. We were playing with, like, Butchers of Malakir and, like lingering souls and just, like, random, like, token. It was, like, tokens versus, like, aggro decks. And, like, I was just learning. When I got home, one of my friends had just bought his first deck of magic cards. And he showed me Sengir Vampire, which is a five-mana 4-4. And I thought it was, like, the best card in magic. And now I look back and I'm like, silly me. No, the best magic card is Black Lotus or Brainstorm with Fetchland, of course. It sounds to me like as you've learned the game, you've learned to prioritize different things in the game. And then now your concept of what a really good card is has changed. Yeah, it definitely has over time. So it sounds like that back in the day, a really good card was just a really big, scary creature. Yeah. And then today, a really good card is something that does really intricate for the game. One of the, my most favorite cards of all time. Well, I have a f- few funny stories. One is my favorite creature is Emrakul because one, it is like a giant creature with a giant mana cost. And also because its abilities are so strong that and I'm like, every time I read it, I'm like, oh, that's why people play it in modern. Oh, that's why it's $50 in paper. Once you read that card enough times, I used to play this Nahiri, um, not Mardu, but Jeskai deck. You know, it was so good. But like every time I pulled it out of my deck via Nahiri, I was like, I kept reminding myself, this is why it's so expensive. Once you understand that basic concept, you are able to understand the game in such a different way. And I think that's one of the best parts about Magic. I, I wanted to learn because everyone was playing it. And by the end of the day, I, I like was like, okay, this is cool, but like... I think there's more to it than what I'm seeing here. So I go home and I buy two of those like intro packs from Gatecrash. And I didn't get anything good, but I remember one card and that was Garuk's Horde. When I got home, 
me and my mom both had decks. And of course, she didn't get it. I didn't really get it. <laughs> and so I wouldn't attack with any of my creatures. I would mill myself out. And I had like this giant graveyard full of random instants and sorceries. So I would just like flip the graveyard over, shuffle it once or twice, and then start playing again. And, you know, it just turned into this. Now I'm like sitting here like on a mo- magic podcast sitting next to Snapcasters and Jason the Mind Sculptor. Like it's like that's a big difference for someone like me. So you started off being introduced to the game with friends and then you go out and you buy an intro pack and then you and your mom kind of stumble together some version of magic. And the thing is no one ever won because like I never attacked and my mom like was like, what's attacking? So it was uh-huh. like we just ended up like just playing cards. You get to make up the decks you want. You are free to do whatever you want. That's the best thing about magic. Video games, you have to choose certain things. In magic, the only real thing is around 40% are lands and that's it. Like, you do you. And I think that that is what makes this game so special. Is because you can take a deck like Abzan and Modern where they're playing all these really expensive things and say, I can't really afford Thought Seasons. Instead, I'm going to play Siege Rhinos, Restoration Angels, and Thrive Dusks. I think is that idea that you do you. You want to make a blue deck? Do it. You want to make a four-color deck that's going to, the base is going to be like, I don't know, like collected company? You do that. Like, that is why magic is such a special thing. There's no one telling you what to do. Of course, there are special rules, specific rules you have to follow, but... Besides those rules, it's like you're going to get accepted for whatever you do. Like, I understand, like, net deck is is a big thing, but as someone who can't really afford it, take a deck that you really like. You can try and net deck it, but also maybe make some changes to suit what you like to do. That's the sole purpose of magic. You know, you haven't been playing Magic very long and you also haven't like understood everything about Magic, nor have you experienced everything about Magic, but you get the core essence of why Magic is so wonderful for so many reasons and so many people love it, is that really you can do whatever you want to do in the game. Leo, what are your Magic goals? I want to one day go to the Pro Tour. I know that's a big stretch. Um, I ran into some bumpy areas a few years ago, but um, you know... I really want to go to the pro or tour to prove that, like, you know, just because some people call it a dumb game, it doesn't mean you can't go all the way with it. One of the top people I look up to is Shahar Shenhar. I look up to him, one, because he's Jewish from Israel, like I am. And so, like, I just want to prove, like, a normal person can do something amazing. I just went 4-0 for the first time, like, making even, like, top. 62 that would be like a dream for me pro tour is so far-fetched magic is like one of my favorite things in life Uh, about six months ago i started having really bad anxiety attacks you know one of the things i always look forward to is getting home and playing with my magic cards and watching magic videos and there's not only a community tied to it but there's also ways that people use magic to help them with things you know and you can even identify with different characters you know like garuk he's going through a change by the way if wizards is watching please let us go see garuk again i miss him a lot but like you know it's just people really can identify that and i wish there was more of that What do you think magic is for you in terms of building friendships? It is a really, like, important piece of my life because you can bond with people. You can trade with people. Like, if I trade with someone, that's already establishing that we have some kind of mutual thing. Like, I was at F&M the other day, and um, some 
dude who I was sitting next to was like, hey, um, what's up? And I already knew him, but we were not really friends. I was wearing like a shirt from like a band. He was like, is that your favorite music artist? And I was like, no, it's Fleetwood Mac. And he's like, oh my God, yes, I love that band. And so it's more than magic. It's a community. And community means everything. And I think you can meet so many new, cool, different people through magic. And that is one of the best things about magic. Leo, you shared a lot today about kind of how you enjoy the game of magic, how you started, how you perceive buying magic cards, asking your parents for magic cards, what it's like for you to build a deck and go and compete, battle it out with people that are a lot more experienced than you. But speaking to other players that are older, more experienced, what would you like to say to them to remind them of what it's like to play magic as a child again? It's hard. It's hard to play magic. It is complicated. And so if you're playing against a kid at an FNM, don't get all competitive. You know, if they're going to play Storm, maybe afterwards give them some tips or shake hands or any little thing to help them get better. Because we all want to get better. We all want to go to the Pro Tour. Like, that's the magic player dream for everyone. But when people get too competitive, it's like, well, why am I here? You start questioning, well, why Why do I have to be here if everyone's going to be really rude and not very nice and really competitive? I'm here to have fun. And I'm not saying, like, go easy and make, make yourself lose, but maybe give them some tips of the trade and maybe help them out a little bit. You know, be that guy who they want to learn how to play magic from. Don't be that guy who's, like, copying them out on trades that are really bad. I know I had that experience a few times, and it feels awful. So... If you're that guy, please change because it ruins the magic experience, part of the magical magic experience for everyone. You know, Leo, I'm talking to you right now because you're a kid. This is Mm -hmm. the kids episode. Yeah. That's just not the only reason why I'm having this episode right now. This is also about introducing the future generations of magic in 10 to 15 years from now. You're not a kid anymore. You're going to be the experienced magic player that grinds out GPs and qualifies for the Pro Tour. Yeah. So what would you like to create for the future of Magic the Gathering? I would like to create a better turf for kids to learn how to play magic. And I would like to give everyone a chance to succeed in magic. That is the number one thing. Leo, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Let's do this. Leo, rapid fire question number one. Number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? They're all so good. Definitely not red and definitely not white. Oh God. And probably not black. It's either blue or green. Blue because counter spells. Green creatures are like good. Okay, so your favorite color would be blue because of counter spells. Yes. And you'd pair it with green. Yeah. Because of creatures. Yeah. Rapid fire question number two. Number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I would really like to get rid of the reserved list because there's so many like great, like Legacy is such a cool format and so is Vintage, but Gaia's Cradle is like a staple in Legacy. But it's on the reserved list. Now, I would love to do this, like, I've kind of been thinking, like, what if you did a, it would be a limited format, and also it would be a legal and legacy and vintage. And it was just, basically, they announced every, um, banning the reserve list and printing everything on the reserve list in two sets. Because 
there is so much value. Why wouldn't you want young players to understand that? Like, we got a smidge of that in Eternal Masters. We got a smidge of that in the Iconic Masters. But, like, I want to play with a guy's cradle, but it doesn't have to... Why does it have to cost three mana and four creatures? Why can't I just play my guy's cradle? You know? Why does it... That's the thing, is, like, do you want... Like, I understand that, like, it protects so much value from these older cards but like why like why can't you give access why is it that like a brown piece of paper costs like 30 grand almost as much as a tesla like why can't we change it to make it more accessible for those older format staples So really what I'm hearing from you is that as a younger player, you're very interested in the history of the game, but you feel locked out because of the cost of playing that format. Also, like, even modern, like, I understand, like, the most expensive card is, like, $100, but that adds up. You're playing a playset of your Tarmogoyfs and a playset of your Liliana's, that's almost $1,000. Like, that's the problem with being a kid is you're always going to have this, oh, wait, sorry, you can't do this because you don't have the money for it. And that really sucks. Rapid fire question number three. Number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? A playset of fetches. A playset of all of the 10 fetches? Yes. Okay. Why? Because fetch lands. No. um, (laughs) Because it's self-evident. Because there's such a big part of a lot of formats. I mean, it's locking a lot of people out. Like, even, like, Burn is supposed to be the most excessive deck in Modern, but it's, like, $700 because they refuse to, like, drop the prices of these really expensive cards. So, like... Burn is an expensive deck in Modern? Like, relatively expensive. Like, Uh a kid doesn't have $750 to go spend magic on. Why are there lands that are so expensive? Let people play with those fetch lands. Explore why they're so good. Okay, Leo, rapid fire question number four. Number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I think that they need to do a few things. They need to get rid of the mythic level because it is messing up everything. Because you are constantly looking for it. It used to be like you got a rare. Even though you think a rare could be good, unless you have a very good sense that it will be amazing, print it as a uncommon because it is so frustrating when you buy a Modern Masters pack and you get a seance. But on the other hand, you could also get a Blood Moon and a Foil Path, like my friend. Packs are great for that, but don't you want... I think they need to get rid of the bulk rares because it drives me crazy when you open up a pack of Eldric Moon and all you get is an assembled alphas. And we all know that card is not that good and it drives me insane. And last, Leo, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? You do you. Like, be yourself when you play Magic. If you are yourself, nothing can stop you. I think that's the same thing for Magic or anything else.
Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today I'm here with the talkative 12-year-old, Quinn Kiefer. Quinn, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And where are you joining us from? Boulder, Colorado. The last time we bumped into each other was at GP Denver. Yeah, that was a pretty easy GP to get to. I had a lot of fun on that one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was very uh, lucky to be able to meet you because a mutual friend, Nathan Stoyer, also a young savant of the game, introduced us. Yeah. You were there with your brothers hanging out and competing, and uh, you were doing pretty good, and you were quite focused. They didn't want to bother you right away. Eventually, we were able to connect. Here we are on the podcast together. Yeah, that was a pretty good GP. Um, I actually got second in a PTQ which was pretty awesome and pretty not awesome at the same time. It was awesome because you got to the finals, but it was not awesome because you didn't win it, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, like all things, Quinn, I know our listeners really want to know about your life. And as always, we start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and how did you find magic? I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, as I am right now. And I started playing magic because my brothers, um, I have two brothers, and they started playing magic when they were seven years old and nine years old. And I was pretty young at this time. I was too, too complicated for me. So I started at age five on my fifth birthday. Um, my brother taught me how to play magic, finally, and I actually learned how to read from playing magic. And what are your brother's names? Uh, Lucas and Jack. In the magic community, especially in the pro scene, we're always referring to the Kiefer brothers. But now we're actually talking to one of the Kiefer brothers. So it's Lucas, Jack, and you, Quinn. Yeah. I think it's very interesting that you say that you learned how to read by playing magic. I mean, I think that's such an interesting concept, especially because, you know, many people in the community who play magic, they're a lot older, you know. I'm in my 30s, and you're 12. So we're 20 years apart. You know, when we talk to parents and other people, and we're like, hey, how do kids play magic? Well, they there's also like a learning barrier, but there's also kind of like a reading barrier. Sometimes there's like vocab or complex logic or complex math. And it just kind of shines a light on that topic because you were like, yeah, when you're five, you're still learning how to read. There's definitely a learning aspect involved in me learning how to play magic. And there's some words in magic vocabulary that Sometimes I just think of magic instead of actually what the word means. For example, like vigilance and trample and all those like, keywords, I have, um, I just completely forget what they mean actually, and I just think about magic. So. <laughs> so, if you were in someone's garden and you stepped on all their flowers and someone says, you trampled all over the flowers, and you're like, what are you talking about? You didn't take any damage. <laughs> It's an interesting context because you are learning these words from a vocabulary standpoint within the context of magic for the first time. But I guess other players will learn about them the other way around. We learn about them when in whatever vocabulary way that, that we learn them, and then we learn about them in magic. But thankfully, those keywords are pretty flavorful because they're pretty consistent. It's not like vigilance means something completely different. Maybe if you were learning about prowess for the first time, you'd be like, why does prowess the mechanic differ so much than prowess, what actually prowess means or, you know, but uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Okay, so you grew up in Colorado. Your brothers taught you how to play magic and you started at a pretty early age, five. It's funny because I asked some of my other guests who have been playing magic for like 20, 30 years, I asked them, what's your background with magic? But you know, you're 12. Basically, the majority of your childhood has been formed playing magic. Yeah, definitely. One thing that's really interesting being such a young player is, you know, obviously you've qualified for the Pro Tour and you're highly competitive. I think the first question on many people's minds is, how did you get so good at playing Magic? Well, first of all, practice. I mean, that's kind of what makes 
everyone good at what they do. You can't really be good at something without playing a lot of magic. Another thing that really helps is having two brothers right next to me who are also play magic all of the time, and I can always just talk to them about magic whenever I want to. And that really helped me along the way of learning how to play magic and getting to this competitive level. Magic is a very complex game. How do you find yourself practicing or working out some of the more complex lines of play? I kind of like started at a point where I was like not very good. Like, I mean, that's of course what you would start at. At some point, you're at a level where you're at a certain skill level, and then you kind of just keep getting better. And at some point, at some point, you, you're like learning little tiny things that can really, really help in games and can win you games. But people who are not at the competitive level, like, do not see those things as much. Quinn, could you tell us a little bit more about your accomplishments in Magic? Like which tournaments you've won and what you've qualified for? We know that you're going to the Pro Tour Magic 25th at Minneapolis, but what are some other events that you've competed in? For a while, I was on the SCG circuit on the team, and so I didn't like do insanely well in any of those Star City Games events, but I top 32 to like two um, two opens, and I top 64 a lot more than I can count. I went X3, so like 10 and 3 with my buys at three GPs. Actually, before I actually qualified for the Pro Tour, I first top eight in RPTQ, lost. And then, like we were talking about in Denver, I went went to the PTQ and lost. And those were not even a week apart. So it was, it was a kind of frustrating week. But I mean, like getting qualified for the Pro Tour in Santa Clara at that PTQ just made it all up. So recently in GP Santa Clara, you played another PTQ and that is when you qualified. Yeah, I was playing with, it was a team PTQ, team limited PTQ. And I was playing with Ely Cassis and Jack Kiefer, so my brother and my teammate. And we actually played against Nathan Stoyer's team in the top eight. Quinn, you've been very competitive, and I'm sure that you've played against a lot of great pros. <laughs> Any memorable pros that you've sat across the table from? Yeah, definitely. I was in GP Minneapolis, and I was in the last round. I was 6-2, and I was really... I've never 7-2 to GP before that point. I think that was, like, the second GP that I ever was, like, paused. I was, like, sure to make day two. I played against Shahar Shanhar, and we were both playing Gritch's Control, and I beat him in the mirror. And ever since then, we met, and we... Every single time, because he's so much taller than me i stand up on a chair and i stand next to him and we always see if i'm tall and taller than him which actually surprisingly i am now <laughs> you're growing up right in front of his eyes yep <laughs> that's awesome who else i played against huey jensen in gp denver i was x3 so i really wanted to because this was like i was already 3-0 in day two and i really wanted to win out because i wanted to go x3 at this gp but i played against huey jensen and i beat him it was just so fun playing him we talked and it's just so cool how all these pro magic players can be so kind and so nice it's always great to see you on social media and also at the events and also hear stories about you interacting with the pros. And obviously, pros are going to have a lot of great things to say about you. Thank you. Quinn, which players in the competitive scene do you look up to? There's a lot of them. Jerry Thompson. He is a kind, awesome, very, very good Magic player. And I hang around him. We joke around all the events. He um, is kind of like a big brother to me. One of the funny stories that I have with him is we played. I always wanted him to play in a two-headed giant with me, but he really just doesn't like two-headed giant. <laughs> and then one time, uh, it was last GP. Uh, I don't remember which one that was, but we played two-headed giant together. We had the sweetest deck with these awesome cards, but we didn't win. Um, we did pretty horribly. We still um, had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah. Jerry's a great guy and he always like gives his heart and gives his advice. And so it's always really great. And whenever I see him, he always takes the moment to ask how I am personally. Like he wants to actually know how I'm doing and how I am. So uh, yeah. Any other people? There's a lot of coaches that I've had who has really helped me get better at the game. And some of those are First of all, Caleb Scherer, when I was doing, when I was in the S, uh, I was a lot doing in the SEG tour. He, I, I, one of my favorite decks is pl- playing Storm. And so he, we would sit down together and he would, well, I called him Coach Caleb and he would like come to the table and we would like goldfish Storm and we would just go over it and he would be all over the place together. And it really helped me when we'd laugh and have fun together. And, and then there's also Chris Anderson, who was also my coach for a while. And he really just helped me a lot. He's kind of the reason that I'm so good at magic right now. These early influences are very important. Having good coaches to teach you and to talk you through how to play the game and how to organize your thoughts around the game. That's awesome and fascinating at the same time. Obviously, you are a very competitive player and you've been very organized about how you go about practicing for the game. Obviously, you have coaches, you have great interactions with your brothers as well as other pros. I'm pretty sure that there have been some players who have underestimated you. On my first GP, when I was around eight, I sat down at the table and I started shuffling my cards and my opponent sat down and he looked at me for a second and then he just called a judge. And I'm like, okay, I've really never seen a judge call before because it's like my first GP. And so the judge comes over and my opponent literally says right in front of me, I don't think my opponent knows how to play magic. Wow. And I'm so surprised. I'm like, I think I know how to play this game. I mean, I'm at a GP and then the judge says, okay, I'll keep an eye on him. And I like about 10 minutes, I just run him over with fleece main lions and random amazing green white creatures. And I just crush him, even though he thought I didn't know how to play magic. That's insane. I think anyone at a GP, <laughs> especially if they're in the main event, I mean, even if you're not in the main event, if you're at a GP and you're playing and you're sitting down at the table shuffling your cards, I think you know how to play Magic. I mean, how rude. They just like totally just said that to a judge. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, but another one of my stories is I was playing in a PTQ and I sat down at the table and my opponent walks up. They kind of like talked to their friend. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't whisper, but they said well, this is a free win. And I'm like, um, so I was like older at this time. I was like nine or 10. And, um, I was like, what? That's like, not, that's not very kind. (laughs) And again, it was so perfect because I completely just crushed him and it wasn't even close. Wow. What? Free win? I mean, like, I'm right here. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, in both cases, in both stories, you just completely run your opponent over. I wonder if they learned a lesson. Probably. I actually think that them saying that kind of motivated me to even win, like, play my hardest and try and win as much as I could. For me, it's like, this is the future generation of the game. If anything, I want to make sure this person's experience is awesome. You know, Patrick Chapin said this, everyone at some point or another, if you're at a GP or a pre-TQ or a pre-release or just an FNM, you're an ambassador of the game and the way we are as a player community and how we treat each other. You know, those crazy interactions, instead of like demotivating you, they invigorated you. They, they kind of got you to strive harder to be better. So that's that's good. Yeah, that's definitely true. And there has been a lot of people who have just sat next to me. And after I finished the round, even though they lost, they said to me, they they think it's really awesome that I'm playing magic at this age and how good I am. And they think I'm really good. And they say that they, they appreciate it. And they think I should keep going with it. That's great. That's very encouraging. Yeah. Quinn, it takes a lot of hard work to be competitive and to know your stuff. Can you give any tips or advice about how you learn to play magic? Yeah. So when I started, I kind of just was playing with my brothers. And then I kind of started going, getting more and more competitive. So 
I started, and then I went to these kids' tournaments that they called them at my local games store. And then we started winning those every single time. And then we went to the grown-ups tournaments. That's not what they called them, but that's what we called them. So <laughs> Okay. And we started doing really badly at those, but then we started winning them and winning them. And then finally, we were like, okay, we'll try some PPTQs. Or, um, actually, those things didn't exist, PTQs. And so we tried some, and then, of course, we didn't win them, but we, we were doing pretty good at them. So we decided that we would go try something, like, really big. So my parents took me to GP Vancouver, um, which was my first GP. It was, I think, Theros Block constructed. None of us ended up making day two. I actually did the worst out of us, but we um, all did, like, not horribly, like, not, like, absolutely horribly. So I also think that another tip is... You have to know how to lose. That's like the biggest part of magic is you can't be frustrated when you lose because that's happens and that's how the game works out. Huh. Learn how to lose or know how to lose. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. So magic, like I said, is a game. It's a win-lose game. Like you win or you lose. And there's so much losing involved because you can't win every event. There's so much losing involved. If you get mad about losing, it's just going to, it could end your, I mean, it could like make your motivation go down and you could think, oh, I lost the match. I'm not good enough or I can't do any, I can't win this event anymore or I can't do well. And you can completely just bring down your motivation and you will not be able to play as well in your next match. And I think that it's really important to know how to lose. And it's fine with losing because it's how the game works. And every single time you lose, you learn something. You learn something every single time. And if you keep losing, even though you don't want to, it's going to help. And you can't be mad about it. Quinn, I totally understand that mindset about losing because you learn from your mistakes. Winning is like one half of it, but also learning is also very important. I also wanted to ask you about your mindset, Quinn. How do you stay focused when you play Magic competitively? One of the biggest things is not thinking too ahead, not thinking that you're going to win the next eight rounds and that's how you're going to win. I like staying focused on one game at a time, really trying to win this game instead of the next game or the next round or the four rounds from now. It's just really focusing on trying to win this game, even though it might not be that much. It might not be like the end result of your tournament. If you focus on each game independently, you will focus more, you will play better, and you will probably do better at the end. You've really learned how to focus yourself, not get too worried about stuff that's happened before or get nervous about what's about to happen. You're just focused on what's going on right now. Yep. Quinn, could you tell us about your magic goals? So there are some really high goals for me, like, for example, getting to the Hall of Fame, being the youngest kid to ever top at a pro tour. Those are high goals for me. But there are some goals that I guess are not that not that low, but my real goals are top aiding a GP and getting to multiple more pro tours and kind of want to be good enough to and have enough skill and be focused enough to be doing consistently well at events. Goals don't even have to be winning an event or doing really well at it. You can be challenging yourself and trying to beat yourself to get better every single time and learning something new consistently. I really like that. Now that you've qualified for the next Pro Tour, you have a shot. As long as you do well enough in a particular Pro Tour, it'll qualify you for the next one. Uh, yeah, just 11-5 at the Pro Tour, which is seems, yeah, actually, it doesn't really seem easy, but um, it's pretty hard, so... Quinn, I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for younger players that are new to the game of Magic? 
There's a lot of advice that could be given. I think that when I started off playing Magic, some of the things that I really should have known were, first of all, it's not all about winning when you're learning. It's mostly about playing a lot and having a lot of fun. That's kind of what Magic is about, first of all, but to get a lot better, you just have to play. And you have to play against your friends, you have to play against people at your local game store, and you can go to, like, kids' tournaments, like I did at my local game store, which I started winning them, and then I started going to higher-level events. And I think the most important thing is just to have fun playing the game, and I think that's really what will bring out your skill in the game if you really actually enjoy it. And for any competitive Magic players, or like people who, kids who want to get into competitive Magic, one of the things that I learned at tournaments is don't be afraid to call a judge. The judges are there to help you, and I think when I first started playing, I was too scared to call a judge, and I didn't really want to because I thought my opponent would hate me for calling a judge on them, or anything like that, and I was way too scared because I thought that they would say the wrong answer and then I would be embarrassed, but that's what they're there for, and you should not be scared to talk to these people because they're there to help you. Quinn, what would you like to say to parents that have kids who want to play Magic the Gathering? For parents, I think I would just basically say what I love about Magic the Gathering, which is it is a great learning experience for me, and it really helps me talk. It has helped me, made me more comfortable around people. It has made me smarter in a lot of different ways. And even taught me how to read. I can't really say enough about how great magic has been for me. And I think that all kids should have a chance if they, if this is their passion and they really like it, to get into the magic community because it's such a great place. Okay, everyone, we're gonna have more from Quinn coming up. But first, a word from our sponsors. Quinn, I understand you have a special card for Patreon supporters that you will be signing. Could you tell us what it is? Yep, it is Mountain Goat. (laughs) Okay, Mountain Goat. It's a red creature. That's basically all I know about Mountain Goat. Could you tell us a little bit more? Yep, it is one red for a 1-1 with Mountain Lock. That's it. (laughs) And why why Mountain Goat? Why does Mountain Goat uh, have a special place in your heart? The reason I chose Mountain Goat is because everyone else had their favorite card in Magic, and I just couldn't think of a card that I liked the best. So I found a card on the internet and I just said, okay, Mountain Goat's my favorite card now. And it has been ever since. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you find it? Did you just click random card or did you actually have to go looking for something? I mean, like, I like Mountain Goat a lot. But it's not my, it's my favorite card because it's my favorite card. Like, it doesn't have, it's just an awesome card. It's a one mana, one one with mountain walk. I mean, what what could be better? (laughs) Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, that's what we'll do. Quinn, I'm going to send you a whole bunch of mountain goats. You'll sign them and then we'll send them to Patreon supporters. Awesome. Okay, everyone. And we are back. Quinn, I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I am very ready. Okay, here we go. Rapid fire question number one. Quinn, of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? I would say my favorite color is green because you can just kind of cheat on mana and just kill your opponent so easily without really having to do anything except for play a big creature once you've already ramped up a lot. If you would pair green with another color, what would it be? It would probably be red, just because my favorite deck to play back then, Green Red Devotion. And that was my favorite deck ever, and it was so fun. Very cool. All right. You're a gruel mage, as the guild would put it, right? (laughs) I guess. Okay. What about tricolor? Um, I would probably do teamer, because 
It's basically just what decks I've liked and played. And I played Team Energy for a while, and I beat a lot of people with it. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, you get access to those blue counter spells. Very cool, very yeah. cool. Okay, Quinn, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? Yeah, that's an easy question. I would definitely bring back JSS, the Junior Super Series. That's really interesting. Why would you bring back the JSS? But there's so many reasons. But the ones that I think is most is, first of all, um, you're playing against kids your age. Even though I've been talking about how it's really good to play against grown-ups and there's, I've made a really good friendship with them, it's also, um, it's really, it's normal and it's awesome to have friendships with kids your age. And being able to play Magic against them and competing against people like you who play Magic, which is not that a likely thing to do, and kids your age is playing against them. And you also bring a lot more kids into Magic, which is something I really want. I really liked how they gave out scholarships for the prizes, and that would really help me a lot. I think it would be a very fun experience, and it would definitely bring a lot more kids into magic, which is what we want. That is very interesting that you say that, because um, I interviewed Adam Yurchek, he's a longtime pro, and he said that he cut his teeth with magic in the Junior Super Series, and so many other players as well, that that was really important to them, and that was really like a stepping stone for them to get better, and then play in, you know, pre-TQs and PT, well, again, back in the day, they were just PTQs, but Pro Tour qualifiers. And that also led them to qualifying for the Pro Tour that way, as well as playing into more Grand Prix and things. So that is really interesting. I think you are perhaps the first guest to talk about that. Most of the pros who are really, really insane right now, like really good, came out of the JSS. And I want that experience to bring me and more kids to get better just like them. And I think that would be awesome to have back. Quinn, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? I would probably give focus to all the Magic players. I think that that is really important um, when you're playing Magic and can definitely help you play a lot better. And that would be awesome if everyone could be that focused. Yes, Magic is a hard game. I definitely need some focus sometimes, <laughs> a little extra focus. <laughs> Quinn, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I think that the future of Magic is very good right now. I feel like every single day they're making new changes and improving Magic. And a lot of these people who have experience making cards and helping make the game better, they'll have more experience and we can just help make Magic a better place. And I also think that some of the feature that I at least want is that we can just play Magic Arena on our phones and just be able to go anywhere we want and just be able to play Magic. Yeah, Magic is such an awesome game. And it's also kind of complex because you need like all these little pieces of cardboard on a table and all this stuff. But to be able to play Magic uh, on a mobile platform and have it kind of like Hearthstone when you get to be anywhere and play Magic, you know, that's pretty awesome, especially with the prevalence of Magic Online. I mean, everyone uses it to test, you know, and stream and now Magic Arenas in, you know, beta testing. So I'm very hopeful. And I think you are as well. Yeah, definitely. Last, Quinn, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Well, if you ever see me at any events, you can always come and say hi. And you can also follow me on Twitter. That's right. You're on Twitter at MTG Quinn. And also you and your brothers are also at Kiefer Brothers, uh, at Kiefer Bros. And I'll have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. And of course, you are part of Team Card Hoarder. So we're all going to be rooting for you when we see your jerseys. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you. And of course, you are not old enough to stream on Twitch yet because you're only 12. But when you do uh, turn 13 and you have your birthday stream, let us know. And we're all going to root for you and uh, bother you in the chat. Oh, I 
will. Thank you. <laughs> okay, awesome. Quinn, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you and really thank you because uh, it takes a lot to play magic competitively. It's not easy for really anybody. And, you know, you're 12. I mean, you're young. You're a kid. I mean, you're competitive and you're focused and you're determined and you're really brave. You have a lot of courage. When I met you for the first time, when Nathan introduced me to you, I was just like, this kid's awesome. You know, you're a great magic player. You're competitive. You're thoughtful and smart about the game. And also you have a great personality. And really, you are the future of Magic the Gathering. And that's what this episode is about, is to speak to children who play Magic the Gathering competitively, casually. They make up the sphere. They make up the community. And really, when I say, I really look forward to seeing you in the Hall of Fame, I really look forward to seeing you holding a Pro Tour trophy over your head, I really mean it because Quinn, you and Nathan and your brothers, Lucas and, and Jack and everyone and Dana Fisher and Miley and Ethan and Leo, everyone... They're all the future of Magic the Gathering. So I wanted to thank you. And I also wanted to thank all the parents for encouraging their children and sharing their families with us in the community to play Magic the Gathering. So thank you so much, Quinn. Thank you so much. I really hope that people like me can get into magic. I really appreciate you all. And I'm really happy that I'm into magic. And this is such a great experience. Special thanks to all of the parents that made this episode possible. Adam, Mark, Min, Brian, Liz, and Jennifer. I really appreciated all of these young players taking the time to speak with me. They're all wonderful ambassadors to the game. You can find Dana and Adam on Twitter at DanaFisherMTG. That's D-A-N-A-F-I-S-C-H-E-R-M-T-G. They're also on Facebook.com slash DanaFisherMagic. Nathan Holt and Sean Kornhauser recently released their Enter the Battlefield episode on Dana, so go check it out on YouTube. I'll have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Nathan Stoyer is on Twitter at NathanStoyer1. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-S-T-E-U-E-R and the number one. Quinn Kiefer is on Twitter at MTGQuinn. I'm confident that with these kids carrying the torch onward, the future of Magic the Gathering is very bright. Well, that's it for Season 3 of Kitchen Table Magic. I'd like to thank all of my guests in Season 3. Sheldon Mennery, The Magic Man Sam, Dan Burdick, Dev of Strictly Better MTG, Josh Lee Kwai, J. Dean Klumperens, Jason Alt, Zach Elsick, Seance Guy, Reddit user, Jobs141910, Daniel Chang, Jay Schneider, Donald Rents of Chessex, Eric Dupuis of Wormwood Gaming, Billy the Fridge, Paolo Vitor Dominarosa, Christian Calcano, Donald Smith Jr., Keith Capstick, Jeffrey Palmer of Living Cards MTG, The Red Baron TJ Rogers, Daniel Wen, Michelle Rapp, Zach Brady of Brady MTG, Craig Wesco, Jordan Isaka, Frank Stanley, Ben Sek, Rashad Miller, Chris Furterer, Basic Mountain Patrick Sullivan, the Beard Father, Chris Van Meter. GP Seattle Legacy Champion, Daniel Duterte. And you just heard from Dana Fisher, Nathan Stoyer, Ethan Brown, Miley Chen, Leo Strober-Cohen, and Quinn Kiefer. A big thank you to my sponsors, Paragon City Games and Card Kingdom, who have provided the show support since early on. 
I also want to show my gratitude to all my Patreon supporters past and present. Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark F, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E, Joe, Logan S, Scott, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Prescovi, Ryan V, Carl, Logan F, Yana, Kyle W, Ryan E, and Kyle V. Thank you all so much for contributing to Kitchen Table Magic. I hope the little gifts I've sent out live happily in your collections and that they remind you of the people we've interviewed. Season 3 gifts are going out very soon. I've got signed Lanawar Elves from Rashad Miller, a signed Lightning Bolt from Patrick Sullivan, more Elves from Dana Fisher, a signed Ornithopter from Ethan Brown, a signed Ironclad Revolutionary from Miley Chen, and a signed Mountain Goat from Quinn Kiefer. Kitchen Table Magic will be back next season with more interviews and stories from the community. If there's a person you want me to interview that I haven't yet, let me know, but most importantly, let them know. Poke those people about coming onto the show and sharing their story. A lot of cool new things are happening with me. I'll be hosting some new shows in the near future. I'm also going to start making a YouTube video series and also streaming with some content creators. It's all happening very fast and I can't wait to publicly announce all the great things that are going on. I hope to see all of you at GP Vegas. I'll be vlogging and also spell slinging there. A big thank you to everyone again for listening and supporting the show. It's because of your generous listening that makes this show what it is. I love you all and thank you for listening to Kitchen Table Magic.